Spotlight, the official podcast of Grapple. I'm Benno. And I'm JP. And I'm Alan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Alan, Alan Black, last cheap shot. The uh, the moving man of the internet, the man who uh, you can't you can't act with your half baked excuses. You know, causes more trouble than me on uh, on Twitter. I have <laughs> my moments, Benno. I don't know if you compete with you full time. You know, now for causing trouble, but you know, I can come and go. You know, I'm um, I'm like a bit of a social <laughs> butterfly now. I'll, I'll you know fly around for a bit, cause a bit of mayhem, and you won't you won't see me for a week or two. But you'll know when I'm free. It's only weekends, and that's where I do my best work. <laughs> see, I'll always, I'll always. I'll always remember that time in Germany when uh, they were putting like the bowling teams together, and me, you, and Snowboy got to put together on our team, and we were terrible. You know, we came nowhere, and, and you know that I think that was always destined to happen. But I was like, "What have us three got in common? Why? Why are we a team?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, we're the gobshites from Twitter, are we?" <laughs> like, yeah. it was like it was perfect, you know, to bring us all together. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, combo. It was the matchmaker there. If it was Sarah or someone like that, you know, hats off to yeah. him. Uh, yeah, it was a, we had a competitive match with the Work Horsemen, if you remember, and Dominic Garini. You know, uh, they were a bit the ringer <laughs> team, if I remember. You sure? Because <laughs> JD Drake was on that team. Man turned up with his own fucking bowling ball. Oh, did he? Was he, like, really looking forward to it? Mm. He was like, oh, oh yeah. get in. The wrestling's nice, but, like... You see him. He's built like a bowler. Like, there's nothing, is. like... Everything about him screams, I'm going to be good at bowling. And then, yeah, we all have to stand there, just embarrassed. Yeah, teach Little League bowling as well, or something like that. That was his uh, claim to fame. You know, that was his good goodwill ambassador thing, was he teach the little, little girls how to bowl, and they were really good. <laughs> Why isn't he doing a Bill Murray and Kingpin gimmick? Or even a Woody Harrelson and Kingpin gimmick, for that matter? Right, it's better than the wingmen. Just throw that out there. Yeah, that's definitely something they should be looking at. That bowling gimmick. I think was it Blacktop Bully done the bowling shirt at one point as well in WCW. Did he do a bowling he gimmick? He did, if I recall. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it's yeah. the whole under, undiscovered area of of wrestling gimmicks in in and yeah. Well, apparently bowling. Kingpin's one of Vince McMahon's favourite films. I know he's gone now, but I know oh, that um, he called that as one of his you know uh, you know masterpieces in in cinema history. No way, Kingpin. Yeah, loved it. Where did he, where did he, I'm guessing he saw it 10 years after it came out, though. Like, that's yeah, the only explanation I can think of. Early Farrelly Brothers work, Vince would be all over it. Mm. As well as still being upset to this day that Biff Tannen didn't win. You know, like <laughs> that that would be something that he'll be... You clearly know that he's angry about to this until like, he dies. Do you think his favourite film is Kingpin? Is, is there is there is there anything else you've heard through your sort? Because that's the thing, Alan's like he's the mystery man of Twitter. You've got all these all these wild sources and information. You heard anything from you guys? What what uh, what Vince McMahon might be doing in his retirement? Is he going to be uh, is he going to be watching Kingpin on repeat? Or is he, does he watch Scarface? Well, he doesn't know how to use a remote control on a telly because there's a story once that you know he had to get a uh, repair guy around just to take the, mm-hmm. the TV off on mute. You know, it was uh, he thought the speakers were bust. Um, story verified by right. Jim Cornette, who was there, and I think Bruce Pritchard, yeah. you know, booking some TV. And yeah, the TV repairman came around, and he was very polite to Vince. I think Vince even tipped him like 200 bucks extra, mm. you know, for, for such an easy job. So I think he may struggle with technology, even, if, you know, in his 50s, then he was, uh, you know, not the best. <laughs> That's shocking. I'm not even sure that, like, my nan 
who in Ireland, who, you know, honestly, she'd have thought a smartphone was the work of the devil, would have been able to kind of even, even, even she, I think, would have managed to unmute the telly. But that's quite incredible for him. Who do you reckon's the uh, the tech guy in the McMahon household? Like in my family, I'm like, like I'm, I'm, I think I'm still short. I was like the young one who knows how to do computers. So I get like, I get the call like from aunties and stuff whenever something goes wrong or my dad gets a new phone, I get a text. Mm. You need to come around and set this up for me, son type stuff. Do we think it's Shane? I feel like, yeah, Shane. I mean, he, he was like yeah. work for like tech companies in China and stuff, didn't he? I think that's, he's got to be the one. It's not Triple H. Yeah, he might play EW, uh, our Triple H might be practicing on that while he was off, you know, um, injured. <laughs> so he might have got really good with computers at the time as well because he might have had to install it, like sideload it onto some machine he had. You don't know with Triple H what he was playing with technology-wise. So he might have got really good recently and he might be the go-to man in the uh, man family, you know, for any tech-related issues for Vince. Someone's told me he's upgraded to TW, maybe. He's got a little problematic pro wrestling save going, JP. What do you reckon? I reckon he has. Uh, you, when you say that now, like, this is this is where he should be trialling it out, isn't it? In terms of mm. uh, in terms of overness and things like that. I don't know. Maybe have a look at theories. Oh, I'd be fascinated to know what theories ratings are in that game. Hundred <laughs> and everything. Hundred and everything, of course. Um, well, we did Vince a game of you know like ninety one where really he was able to run the Los Angeles Coliseum and what would have happened you know <laughs> simulating and he can really relive you know his regrets from past years and that's how he can fill his time now booking away just on a laptop alternate reality I reckon he's a sadist I reckon he goes he goes Ted Turner in the mid nineties and beats himself I reckon he's into that kind of weirdness you know what I mean it's like on the sly quite enjoy being the uh, you know second banana I think he's into that yeah, to, uh, <laughs> it's one of his one of his many adventures I'm sure he's going to go up to in his retirement that's it well what, what events have you been up to uh, Alan while you've uh, while we, uh, we, I don't think we've had you on about, about a year ago wasn't it we had you um, mm-hmm. I suppose a bit less than that the Christmas special um, last year was the uh, the last time we've seen you have you uh, what have you been up to keep Keeping busy, uh, starting trouble on the internet. And I remember you telling me when in Germany once that that's like your morning plan. You get up in the morning, you get your breakfast, you get your coffee, and uh, you get you get you get firing up with the uh, with the Twitter machine. Is that still a still a, 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 a day in the life of uh, of Alan Block? That's is that a, well, that's definitely the weekends. Maybe you know, it's firing up. You know, there's always some sort of you know, you can watch some new Japan or on a Saturday morning, or even some Sendagios, mm. whatever's going on at the time where you can get these streams from. So you can kind of watch these things while you just uh, you know have a poke around, post on this day in history, and I still have fun doing that as well. Um, Finding out things still, you know, there's always stuff to find out, you know, uh, in wrestling that people might have discovered or even like you find a picture of, say, when WWF ran in a really small gym in 94, and, and, you know, that shocked to new fans, you know, these WWF stands, uh, you know, WWE stands that think it's such a, you know, massive company to see they were running, they were on their arse in 94. So, you know, digging out things like that. And then you get, you know, just you can post anything on that dog, uh, godforsaken app and anyone will argue. You know, the sky is green, you know, grass is blue. That's what people go with if you, you know, point out the obvious. And, you know, it gets exhausting at times. So I try and limit it. So I still um, watch a lot of wrestling, uh, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, still a lot of old stuff as well. But I'm just hooked into AEW, really, like most people. Um, mm-hmm. It's good week to week overall. It doesn't insult my intelligence overall. There's payoffs. You know, there's clean finishes. There's logical stories. But at times things do get dropped. And, you know, it's not perfect by any means. But it gives me my fix as a as a fan. Uh, so I can't really say it's a bad thing to have AW, you know, around and I'm glad that, you know, you guys talk about them in a positive light, but also hold them to account when there's things that are shit because they're not perfect. Like I said, and Tony Khan, whilst, you know, he'll say he's Booker of the Year, 
you know, he's, he's far from perfect. The guy does not remember things, you know, from week to week he does, but things just get dropped mysteriously and never cut back. And that's a frustrating point about that promotion. But yeah, overall, good to be a wrestling fan still and good to listen to you guys every week. You're doing a, a great service. And I'm glad you guys aren't killing yourself on British wrestling anymore. You know, on the whole, it's, it, it's not worth it. It's not worth it, guys. And I'm glad you've seen the light. Went out with one last trail of glory with that 24 hour stream, but we're done now. It's over. Yeah, congratulations, guys, for that as well. That was an tr- incredible feat to raise all that money for you and Martin. So, oh, thank, you. thank you, mate. No, I appreciate that. But no, I think a lot of people got that that same story with AW. It's kind of mm. it's keeping a, a lot of people uh, invested in the like. But no, I'd say Tony Khan probably is is one who, like, I think. Unlike Vince, he's well, he's definitely got an EWR save going. He's definitely got TW going. He's definitely monitoring all corners of the internet. I'm sure he's monitoring your Twitter account. He's monitoring Cage Match. That's the difference in approach, isn't it, between him and like as much as Triple H and just you fun alternatives to what you were alleged going to get with it with Triple H in charge. Is I don't think he's uh, he's quite uh, involved in it to the level Tony. Tony's a uh, like me and you, Alan. He's a uh, he's an internet poster at heart. You know, we had a you know, even though he's got his real account on Death Valley Driver, you know he had like a banner, you know he's on Twitter under under a load of assumed names, you know he's on the UK fan forum probably, he's everywhere. Yeah, he's, got, he's, he's, he's dipping his toe in everywhere, but you know he's good at Excel, he's good at pivot tables, you know, that's the key to success, you know, get those metrics, pivot the hell out of them, analyze that data, him and Mookie there till three in the morning, you know, pivoting the hell with a lookup table, they'll be doing all sorts, you know, um, and that's, that's where I think he gets his kicks as well, a lot of data analyzer, I know he, uh, he says he's got a firm that does that, you know, uh, an analytic firm in sports. Uh, I don't know how close he is day to day working for them with everything else he's got going on, though, especially with Fulham now back in the mm-hmm. Premier League. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be a busy guy. Yeah. Well, I've just bought Burn Leno today from Arsenal. Well, it's called I mean, it today, yeah. David Ornstein. Yeah. <laughs> for a ridiculously cheap price of three million up front, rising to eight. Yeah, don't give him away these days, but that's, and I didn't mind old Bert, but yeah, that's that's the kind of analytics he's doing, fleecing Arsenal out as well. I'll have to have words mm. with him again. Um, <laughs> you you got to get a load of Fulham in on your FPL, JP. Is that the plan? Uh, for this? No, is coming back in opening week? They're playing Liverpool, aren't they? Like, I'm just like, <laughs> I'll see, I'll see how big Alex gets on in that opening week, like- but don't know with him. Like Andy says here in the chat, like Fulham fans are not like <laughs> they are not in love with Tony. Like the level we're all in love with Tony Khan. Like and even though we're like Alan said, we'll hold him accountable. We'll, we'll give him grief when it's deserved. That is not shared by Fulham fans. I don't know what his uh, the stock is with the uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, fans, but yeah, they're gonna be they're gonna be wanting him to pay attention this season. You know, big big Premier League season. You know, want to uh, you know be be distracted by this little uh, wrestling vanity product these guys. It's uh, yeah, there's uh, definitely di- different takes on him out there. Carragher's going to kick off at him and he'll bring him up. I won't do the accent, but you can just imagine him just like kicking off about him watching wrestling. <laughs> I'm too scared. I'm too scared. Like doing a, trying to do like a, a hard scout to a <laughs> feels like I'm pushing things in, in some way. But if I try and do a Blackpool accent to Alan as well, he'll just hang up, wouldn't he? He'll just go out for fuck's yeah, sake. Just be disgusted. Yeah, I won't talk to you again. But <laughs> I think <laughs> I bet you if Carragher mentions AEW, he'll say that WWF wrestling. That's what he will refer to it as. He won't say it's a wrestling promotion or it's pro wrestling. He will say that WWF promotion or something similar, I bet you. Mm. Oh, yeah. more about The Undertaker than he is his back four. Like, you know, you can just see him doing that, can't you? 
I had that outside because um, we were talking at the pre-show. Alan didn't make it to it to Rev Pro last week, but on the way in, the security were like, we were like the last people getting there because we got there like after the bell. And like the guy was like, he'd done security all day. Was like, you know, is it like, is it on the level this wrestling stuff? Is it like real stuff? And I was like, no, mate. He's like, oh, like WWF. And I was like. Yeah, I suppose it is. It's like the, the, that's always the go-to, isn't it? That's what they know. Yeah. <laughs> and this is what he's done, isn't he? Mm. Like mm. that's what it's become. Is is it's become? You know, I was listening to Flagship um, earlier on mm. the week, and it was interesting about this. Like that's what it is. It's what people think of as wrestling is Vince McMahon wrestling, and he's infiltrated our brain in that way. And we're trying to move past like forty odd years of this. So, like you, you kind of like. It's a hard thing to get past. It's like being like hardwired into a cult. Yeah, they call it WWF still as well. And I think it just cements how big it was in this country, 91 to 93, that, you know, they've had a relaunch in 2000 and what, 2002, sorry. And then, you know, that's 20 years now of WWE and still people refer to it as WWF. You know, that was the power of how big they were for that short amount of time. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Someone, Yashi Granny, she knows, still knows what what Undertaker is, or like Ric Flair, or like names like that, just from like that that early nineties, like big period, isn't it? Nobody. That's the problem. I I always hate that. That like you tell somebody who's not like a you know who's not in the loop that you 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 follow wrestling or you go into a wrestling show immediately they just oh it's that shite that's on Sky Sports oh it's you know it's it's that what was the maybe that'll change maybe as a you know Triple H gets you know it's not real things improve <laughs> oh yeah they'll get that yeah I've had my doubts <laughs> but you know hmm. <laughs> surely it's on the level yeah <laughs> but they do think that they I was saying that when we had Brandon Thurston on the twenty four hour stream I was like people like that. Just assume we're all idiots, JP. They think me and you are like men in their 30s and 40s who sit there and analyze this seriously and are just like, you know, because that's the thing about wrestling, isn't it? We're not, none of us are actually really watching it and just, you know, cheering the baby faces, booing, booing the bad guys and, you know, involved in it necessarily emotionally that way. We're all like mm. armchair, we're all kind of analyzing it as we watch it, aren't we? We watch it with like a different kind of brain. It's not like, you don't just take it on like face value, like you might do, you know, necessarily a TV or a film. Although maybe, 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 yeah, you know, our, our brains are wired in such a way that we're those types of people that we analyze that kind of media in that way as well. But I always think it's like we're watching it in like a post-ironic way, if that makes sense, JP. It's a it's a secondary way of watching it. It's like mm. every te- every media text mm. has like, and wrestling is is no different as a as a text has multiple meanings from it and people gain multiple pleasures from it in different ways. Mm. There, there are certain things that, that some people like about it that aren't the things that I like, but I understand why, because it's part of like this, this genre that we follow this genre of entertainment. So mm. I think it's, and that's me with my, obviously clearly my teaching hat on like kind of thinking about like, this is and about how audiences respond to it. And when you're there live in the venue, you get caught yeah. up in stuff when you see that absolutely banging match and you see like the false finishes and then you go along with it because you're caught up in the atmosphere. But then it's like a lot of football games. If I'm watching them here, not so much Arsenal because you'll hear me swear live on air during like a weekend <laughs> show or something like that or spotlight if they're playing on a Monday, Monday or Tuesday. But then like here I'll react differently than what mm-hmm. I would do. Like I'm not one of those kind of people who shouts and screams in the ground necessarily, but like at home, there's there's points where I'll watch it and I'll be like, oh, okay, like I can be happy but not have to shout and scream and go entirely along with it. It's like watching a film, going, actually, I'm really 
So I've been watching everything everywhere all at once. And it's like, right. it's very, very clever. It's, you know, it's incredibly silly and all the rest of it, but you can't help mm-hmm. but like admire a film for trying to do the things that it's doing. So mm-hmm. anything in, in, in that way where you can get like kind of a, a bit of a, you know, sitting back as an armchair quarterback, you can enjoy it that way. Who's to say you can't enjoy it that way. You don't, you know, I'm not mad at you. I'd like people to, you know, Mm. Didn't have to always stand up and fucking scream at everything, do we? It's like, calm down. Yeah. Save it for when it's worth it. But that's me, and I'm a miserable. Yeah. So I'm fine. <laughs> well, say if you don't like it, don't watch. Well, what if you miserable? What yeah. if you enjoy being miserable? What if you enjoy kicking off on Twitter? What if you enjoy picking out faults? You know, with a miserable old man. You know, that's what we do. You know, yeah. we're, we're message borders to the death. That's just kind of uh, how we analyze media. I don't know if you find the same way, uh, Alan. Yeah, well, I always look for, as soon as a match starts, what's the finish going to be? What Who's going to go over, you know, pretty much straight away? I don't let myself enjoy the match. There's always, well, if this person goes over, that's going to mean that. And I'm thinking, you know, one, two matches ahead where someone's going to go off something that I've not seen happen yet. And that's where my brain goes. It, sh- it shouldn't do all the time. I should be able to just be invested enough to be invested for the right reasons, I guess, as a fan, or what people perceive should be the right reasons versus what I actually do, which is, like I said, try and analyse a bit further how something's going to go based on, you know, an outcome of a match, uh, mm-hmm. which I am invested in a way because I think, well, that's the way I'd do it, booking-wise. I'd like it to go in this direction. Mm-hmm. Let's not, like, cut the legs off this young baby face yet. You know, let's, mm-hmm. you know, get behind something like that. So, you know, there's pluses and minuses of looking at it the way that, you know, us guys and the guys listening do on the whole. But I can mm-hmm. like to see, you know, fans who watch things. I've got a couple of pals I watch WWE with. One of them is just the biggest WWE fan. You know, doesn't like AEW, calls it an indie promotion. Uh, (laughs) You know, just busts out all these, you know, outdated terms he's, you know, parroting. But he he loves WWE. He watches all the product, watches even like the bump. He watches them all. You know, while he's working, he's got one of those jobs where he can kind of do do a bit of both. So he's not kind of making his wife watch these things. But still, (laughs) he's very up to date with the product. And he will not have anything to do with um, AEW. So when you watch a WWE show with him, he's just a fan. He's really just like invested. I'm cheering for this guy. This guy is my favourite. You know, he kind of just looks at it like that. And he loves like, um, I don't know, Sheamus. Love Sheamus. Sheamus and Drew McIntyre would be his fantasy WrestleMania main event. You know, that's the wow. type of fan. And it's nice to watch wrestling with those types of fans yeah. as well because they get lost in it in a different way than those guys do. So it's two different ways of looking at it, I guess. What is it with Seamus? My little brother, Mark, when he got into wrestling for like six months, was like the biggest Seamus fan. Maybe we've got this casual crossover we don't know about. I don't know. Um, <laughs> he but, looks yeah. like he lives the gimmick, isn't he? I mean, he's yeah. a sort of pasty, ginger, massive Irish dude, isn't it? He kind of just works. He And he very, very quickly learned what they wanted from him. Like mm. they just went, this is what they want of me. I will give them exactly that. Like he was very clear. I'm not saying he wasn't necessarily enjoyable to watch, but it was like, you look at the longevity he's had. It's incredible. How many years now? Yeah, it's got to be yeah. approaching 15. It's good to see him though. And it's nice that they can, some of the stars, and I don't know if there's a edict that they, they say they can't do this, but, you know, he posted a picture of Cesaro with the Ring of Honor world title on social media. This yeah. week, right? Referring to the bar. You know, it's a you know rival promotion, and they don't seem to be reprimanded or discouraged from doing that because he's not the first to do that. They've been doing it for years, but it's interesting that that, that kind of carries on still. Mm. Yeah, well, that's, that's, yeah, it might be the way like the world is changing because like I think the the first thing we're going to talk about today is obviously you know 
WWE at large and SummerSlam from the weekend, and we're all kind of like, I think I think we're all over like speaking of analyzing, we're all over analyzing every bit of TV and going, oh, maybe that's a bit of Triple H there bleeding through, you know, that old Vince wouldn't have done that. And there's there's bits where it's true, there's bits where it's you know maybe where we're seeing things uh, through rose tinted glasses, but stuff like that is you know maybe we'll we'll see you know we're loosening up on things like that. You can definitely say from like. You know, watching you know, I watched SummerSlam and I watched Raw this week. You can definitely tell Michael Cole has less of a, a noose around his neck. You know, he's clearly mm-hmm. enjoying himself a little bit more, and he's getting more involved in the matches. And he's, you know, he seems to be breaking out his, his little shell a bit. I think we're going to see more and more of that as like as yeah. time goes on. The overproduction of commentators was one mm. of the worst aspects of all of WWE production. And if that that first that's like the first immediate change because the man mm. who screams at them in their headsets incessantly throughout a television show because they're not speaking exactly like he does, then you know, that being removed, like you say, they looked happier, they mm. felt fresher, perhaps mm. even like towards the end. I thought it was actually one of Cole's best performances. Mm. It harks oh, back to the performance he had in the UK, you know, on the NXT. Yeah. I think it was the Blackpool show. You know, the yeah. gloves were off, so to speak. He didn't have Vince in his ear there. You know, it would have been mildly produced by a Triple H-led team. And is that what we're getting now on the main roster? You know, that freedom. And I remember universally Michael Cole was praised saying, this is the real Michael Cole. If we could only see this week in, week out, it would be a lot more tolerable. You know, and that's coming mm. out again now. So that's definitely one plus we can take away from the show this weekend. Mm, I think so. And that was a big thing, wasn't it? Like he was like, Oh, you know, where have you been all my life with like Nigel? And you know, he was he was loving that there. That's what it that's kind of what it felt like. You know, he's getting overly into like Pat McAfee's match at the weekend and just yeah, just cutting cutting loose a little bit. That is that is one of those, you know, little signs that are there as well as you know, some of maybe more major stuff, you know, Champer on Raw getting a push, the uh the women's division seeming to uh be molded mm. a little bit more in, in Triple H's image. But I mean we can get we'll get into all of that as big picture stuff but we've got your island so yeah might as well ask you as we, we get into the wwe stuff and talk some SummerSlam. like what's your uh what's your that's what's your overall take on the uh the biggest wrestling story of, of our lifetimes this uh this last while you know what how are you feeling the po- you're feeling positive towards triple h you uh surprised that uh the vince is on the on the outside there was a an interview i saw come out today where uh lashley wwe employee was like ah but I reckon Vince is probably still going to have a hand somehow on creative. He's only a phone call away from Triple H and the like, you know, even like the, the roster internally don't necessarily uh, believe he's gone. I mean, yeah, what's your uh, what's your big picture take, I suppose, on these uh, on these last couple of weeks? Vince gone, Triple H in. Is it all going to be as uh, rose as we expect? And, and really, is, uh, is the king really dead? Well, just to kind of follow up from Will Coolin's appearance last week on the show with you guys, which I really enjoyed, kind of Will's perspective on on what was going on. What we oh, had to go down a lot, mate. Don't worry. But yeah, we cut out the rum references and all of that. You know, <laughs> anytime he said X Wi Fi, the button, so you know, it was bad. Yeah, as long as you got a special Will button, you're good. You know, you can get some good stuff out of him still. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, he was, he, was he was brilliant. He was brilliant. <laughs> so good. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it was good to hear Will's you know perspective a week ago on what we knew mm-hmm. then versus what we know now, and what we know now is you know Vince has gone you know there's no way back for vince you know there is an internal investigation about him still to come out with you know the full findings from the board you know there's everyone bar nick khan and the mcmahon's you know that's leading that so mm-hmm. there's still bits to come out vince's you know position is untenable um any sniff of vince now is gonna you know worry you know a potential stock you know um you know, investor as well. I think, you know, there's mixed messages. You can't be sending now messages that Vince has gone. Go full 
uphill on that, you know, reap the rewards from the stock market position with the, you know, the price, you know, trending upwards now, you know, mm-hmm. people are predicting a sale, you know, we're closer to that sale now, you know, Vince was that last kind of uh, person holding on to this is the company that I set up. This is the company that, you know, I bought from my father, you know, many years ago in, you know, the early eighties to what it's become now. And, you know, everyone else hasn't got the direct emotional tie whilst, you know, Triple H has lived and breathed that for, you know, many, many years since he joined the promotion in 95 and Stephanie brought up there, they're still not going to turn down, you know, an offer, you know, around or, you know, I even think less now than what UFC was sold for, you know, a few years ago is that 4 billion mark. So I think, you know, a sale is become more likely, you know, I think, you know, to say definite, you know, I can't predict in the future, but I think, you know, within five years, I think, you know, there's an 80% chance of a sale from WWE. And I think that's the direction, you know, immediate term now with Triple H on, you know, steering the ship, so to speak, you know, we'll know full, full well. And I I made this kind of quip to myself earlier thinking as soon as we get a war games, it's a major pay-per-view <laughs> event you know you know we were in the triple h era then you know and if we yeah. you know get this pg-14 i don't think it's going to make a major difference i don't think you know the rating of a tv show for wrestling is is the key to success i think it's just week to week good booking don't give up on guys after three or four weeks follow through mm-hmm. with things create a lot more new stars treat mm-hmm. wrestlers with their full names get them to treat like normal person with less scripted promos and if we can get an element of that you know, coming in, you know, over the next three to six months and gradually, gradually we phase out your Kevin Dunn's because I thought if he was going to go, he'd have gone pretty soon. And I thought that would have been in the last few weeks, you know, with the Vince departure, just because he's got a lot of heat. He's got a lot of baggage. You know, he's said a lot of bad things about some of the talent past present, you know, and I can't always think that he's got the same vision as a Triple H. So I think he's going to be going soon. You know, you, um, um, you know, Bruce Pritchard's, you know, they're around. How much influence do those guys wield now? You know, obviously, Kevin Dunn still had a production and he's still, you know, a major stakeholder in, you know, shareholder as well in WWE. But I think that will be to me when I feel we're changing presentation wise as well. I don't mean from a new set, I just mean from the simple camera cut area in now because watching SummerSlam, to me, I pointed it out to friends and then they really got annoyed with me because then they couldn't stop noticing it themselves. And that's the problem with it. It's, it really does impact my enjoyment of a pro wrestling show when they do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. It's like those little annoyances, you know. There, I, I think I think it's going to be gradual. Like I'm not as confident. Like I, I, I do kind of see what you're saying. That like you know, I think Bruce Pritchard and Kevin Dunn. I could have imagined them just it just being a bloodletting right away and they're gone. But I think that now that they're here, I think it's it feels like it's going to be gradual. And I think we're going to see like improvements in little ways. Like I said earlier, you know, the women's division will, you know, all of a sudden get stronger, you know, Michael Cole be able to get away. It's not like there's going to be a memo to wrestlers going, Oh, you can say wrestler and belt now, but I think it's just going to naturally loosen up and people are going to realize, Oh, I haven't got Vince shouting at my ear type of thing. I think it's going to be more of that. And I don't know. I think the drastic changes are going to come later. I don't think they're going to want to upset things right now. Like That's that's what I'm telling myself anyway, JP. That's how, that's how I'm gr- grinning and bearing through some of those camera cuts on this pay-per-view and the fact that, you know, Champa hasn't got a first name anymore or Austin Theory hasn't got a first name, you know. I'm going to immediately roll back those Vincisms, but there's, there's some signs to be positive, I think. It would be too disorientating if they did that. It'd be like Bill Watts in WCW 92 and banning moves off the top rope. It's like that's such a drastic thing to do, and it affects all elements of the card. If they did that, I think it's kind of like what we said, you know, on Spotlight last week, where 
effectively you're expecting them to run the same product what they have mm-hmm. with like the changes to be relatively minimal but perhaps more of a focus given to the women's roster as well mm-hmm. and kind of like beefing it up as well because you know we were talking in the pre-show about England women winning the uh, the Euros and mm-hmm. the, the the overall public reaction to that and everything else and genuinely feeling like it's kind of like an exploding moment Vince and women's wrestling is a was always a massive problematic issue like mm-hmm. at its core like what he thought about it was never was never going to be kind of stuff that was really going to be in line with the vision of where women's wrestling kind of should be and how people are treated and the rest of it. You look at like Brock Lesnar's behavior and everything else and then how they speak out about sort of Naomi and uh, Sasha Banks. We're probably going back there now, which tells you kind of where they saw a lot of the problem, didn't they? And I think you, you take that out. There's going to be the, the kind of focus on that, but the Kevin, the production aspect of it has been an issue Really, it hasn't changed that much since mm. 1997. And I mean, formatting of shows, how they are generally presented, how characters are presented in mm. kind of skits and things like that. And I get annoyed and we get annoyed when we see like these countdown shows for pay-per-views and you see these brilliant kind of like great production about like the kind of reality of these wrestlers and why they're doing it and the things mm. that built their feud. I'm like, why aren't you using this shit? You've got a media mm. literate audience these days who watch so many different forms of media. They expect it to be stuff that isn't just so, like, you can be cartoonish without being ridiculous at times. Mm. You can, you know, you can have that element to it, but mm. they never seem to want to do it. And I think it's that change of presentation. And I wonder whether or not Kevin Dunn is trying to hold on for as long as he can, because he probably recognises there might be a sale. He's got shares. So maybe the price will just, you know, it, it might be easier for, for him to do that. Or maybe they're negotiating a settlement. It wouldn't be surprising. But I'd be surprised if he's there beyond the first quarter in 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was going to say, you know, on, on SummerSlam, you know, I think the, that is like the, probably the, the starting point, isn't it? Of like the, the positivity coming out of it. Like I mm-hmm. very much... I, I I will say, like, I don't think it's a drastic thing to say. I I enjoyed the pay per view because even in Vince WWE, they have such a good roster that, like, there has been a, quite a few pay per views I've done over the last year or so where, like, do you take the booking out of things and you just let that roster go out and have, you know, interesting wrestler matches or you know just go out there and, and work? Often the pay per views will deliver with WWE, you know, the last while or so, and it's almost a product that punishes you for watching the regular TV. And if you just tune in that one time a month, you know, you can get some level of entertainment out of it. So I don't think that's wild, you know, to to, to say that, like, you know, or it's a, a drastic thing to say, oh, well, they, things are fine now because this was a good pay per view. But I think all in all, it was a good pay per view. Um, you know, it had a lot of WWE, you know, isms in it. You know, you've still got, you know, the you know, you like see your, your happy Corbins and, uh, you know, Pat McAfee still getting a push and Miz and Logan Paul might not be to, to some people's taste. But, you know, if you're into WWE style stuff, you know, you could definitely, you know, find bits of enjoyment out of that. You know, in ring, you know, there was some relatively strong way. Um, Usos and Chief Profits was maybe a, a bit of a, a disappointment on the night mm. as opposed to, to what you would have wanted. But most things on the card, 
seem to generally, you know, entertain. Roman and Brock, which I'm looking forward to getting into with you. You know, and speaking of WWE style wrestling, I know JP, you went uh, unspoiled on that one, so I'm looking forward yeah. to hearing your take on that. But you know, if you want a WWE style sports entertainment match, you know, uh, you can. You know, I've seen Wild. You know. Um, Ratings uh, out there. Jo- Joseph Monticello, our uh, our friend, who's uh, very uh, you know he's very cautious with his star ratings. You know he doesn't often often go above four. I think he gave that four and three quarters, which which kind of uh, blew my mind when I saw his his rating on Twitter. You know, so there's definitely WWE star entertainment to uh, to get out of the show. Um, but all in all, yeah, I I enjoyed it and I came away positive. And I think yeah, I think kicking off with. You know, a really, really strong in-winning women's match in Bianca Belair and, and Becky Lynch was probably the best way to go. And it kind of, you know, allowing them to go out there and I think bleeding into Raw as well. You know, Becky Lynch maybe leaning more into, you know, the Becky Lynch that people actually liked. Less of this big-time Bex nonsense yeah. and the heel run they're trying to force on people. Last this like Chris out of Blade Runner type get-up as well. Yeah. I love, fucking love Blade Runner. Then why is there a Rutger <laughs> Hauer character in there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like it's again. Vince McMahon sees the film once, and it's like, okay, that's your character now. That's probably the backstory to that. That and Kingpin was, Roy his, uh, Batty was his double bill that day. <laughs> but like those little, you know, those little subtle changes. The fact, you know, the the big, you know, debut slash returns, you know, that they did after that opening women's match. I, I thought, I don't know if you uh, share the the positivity, Alan, that that was just. You know, if you're going to start a, a Triple H era where it's, uh, you know, he's going to try and, you know, put his stamp on things, even in a, in a minor way, I feel I felt like his fingerprints were all over this. And just, you know, again, letting them to go out there and have a have a banger of an open match, I think, you know, open maybe some minds and made people a little bit more uh, accepting of, uh, of what came after. Yeah, I think it was overall, you know, a fun show. You know, I'm not going to take away from, from my entertainment from the show. I think the presentation from the stadium was good. You always like a, a wrestling show that goes dark on you, you know, throughout the, the show yeah. itself. That's always a nice little oh, touch. Always looks good. With a, yeah, with an outside show. I think they were clever with the, the way that they shot the show. I think, you know, half of the stadium was sparse. They didn't focus on that. I think, you know, they piled everyone into, you know, one half of it, you know, to to make it look with that illusion, which you'd expect them to do. You know, I'd do the same. So, you know, they got away with that and they still had a healthy number at 47, 48,000. I don't know how many there was paid, you know, if that's mm. been written up anywhere, but I still, you know, a very healthy number um, overall, you know, is, is Nashville, you know, a big, mm. you know, entertainment summer, you know, place to go? I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's not, but, you know, they did okay there. So from that overall perspective, yeah, it looked good. Um, I liked the fact that, you know, there was... You know, some shocks. You know, Logan Paul, you know, to me, was right. a standout. Um, how, how good was his, him, you know, on the, on the day? I Honestly to God, this is going to sound nuts. If you put the belt on him, I'm talking like a world title, you go past this Roman Reigns section within like 18 months, I wouldn't be that shocked. Am I saying it's the best idea in the world? No, but he gets wrestling. Like to say he doesn't fundamentally understand it, he gets the performative aspect. He gets the fact that he looks the part. He looks like a wrestler. He's got the physique of a wrestler. He'll he'll do the he'll do the facials. He'll stop that moment to kind of get that bit of embrace from the crowd. When a match speeds up, he goes along with it. He's he's also very teachable. It appears to be like they're telling him how to do like kind of very simple kind of wrestling techniques on the ground and maybe he's got some high school 
amateur wrestling background that I don't know about personally, but he appears to get it and gets the performative side of it. And by the end, I imagine a crowd, because the idea of Logan Paul as a face in and of itself is somewhat ridiculous. However, having Logan Paul like kind of working these kind of matches, and again, you've got someone like The Miz, who it's not a coincidence, that's who the celebrities are in against. Like we were all all kind of like, you know, you're pleasantly surprised by like a bad bunny, but you look at him physically and think, well, there isn't the credibility there that he should be beating wrestlers. Whereas with Logan Paul, I'll say it's there. And I know that's focusing on the aesthetics, but he is able to know how to follow along with somebody who's much more experienced in the ring and effectively keep up and have some big spots that he's able to deliver and, and happy to deliver as well. Like he does a beautiful um, mm. frog splash. Like mm. it's, I honestly, I was shocked afterwards. I know the idea, I'm not saying puts the title on him mm. for any arsehole decides to take it that way, but it wouldn't surprise me because he's got an aptitude for this. And mm. you think of all the like, and this is twice in a row and we're going to come on to Dominic Mysterio later on. Not even a contest <laughs> at this point. Mm. And the fact he's such a big Toshiaka, uh, Toshiaka um, Kawada fan is amazing as well. I think, got like, the his, nailed down, hasn't his, his tribute um, to him is, is always fantastic. Yeah, he was, um, he was very, very good. You know, very good showing. You know, very, very impressed. You know, for someone that's um, only had one other match, you know, and that was, you know, um, you know, bells and whistles on that one. So this match with the Miz, yeah, of course, Miz is there to do that. I thought it was great. You know, blew me away in, in, in some regards for, you know, how his timing was, how his footwork was, you know, his poise, like you said, JP. So I really enjoyed that. My worry with... With that, and with like a you know Pat McAfee and you know even to a lesser extent a Brock or a Roman, it's that reliance on less you know characters that aren't there week to week. You know yeah. how are you going to build up stars week to week to you know build on you know you are week to week episodic TV show at the end of the day. Your bread and butter is that TV revenue. You need those guys yeah. there week to week, and this reliance on guys. Yeah, whilst they're great, you know whilst they come and have a good you know showing three, four, five times a year, you know, where does that leave? They're, they're perceived as the true stars and not the guys that are left behind every week on the third hour of Raw. Mm. Yeah, the there is that. There is that issue. I mean, I, I feel, you know, WWE is the, I mean, I think if Logan Paul was in AEW and was beating people, I don't know how much I'd love it, but there's something about WWE in their presentation that like allows me to set, suspend disbelief. And they are talking you know in the sense that he that you know he's signed this deal and he's going to be you know he's he's saying he's going to be on the road and doing shows i mean you know he's not going to be on every road and smackdown for mate was on every, the other on every road and smackdown <laughs> was he yeah with ksi hawking <laughs> yeah. some energy drink of course that he was. was like a week before summer so i was like what the fuck i think he had he that bit <laughs> I was thinking. I was thinking if Yuri Tillemans was there, I'd been slightly happier as well. But like, sadly, that wasn't the case. But yeah, mm. yeah, he was. He's a busy fucking man. Mm. Yeah. So there is that issue. I mean, I think the I thought the positive of that is like from watching you know Raw this week. And though, again, don't get me wrong, it was it was a fine show, but not worth three hours of your time. You know, and that's no matter how good Raw can be. You know, even if it can be great, it's still three hours. You know, it's always it's always going to be a struggle. But I kind of like that. You know. 
that all that gave space for you know you got more AJ Styles on the show this week, got more Champa on the show this week, got more Mustafa Ali on the show this week. You know those guys that can that can carry you week to week. I mean, definitely, you know, like to see those guys in you know more prominent positions on a on a pay per view like this. But I did think there was uh, some positive from that point of view as well. But yeah, I'd share your, your enthusiasm with Logan Paul. Like he was, you know, if we're going through our highlights of the show, like that was absolutely one for me. Just because yeah. you know, like you said, JP does look like a wrestler. His gear looks great. You know, for I gotta remember, this is his first ever singles match. I know he did, you know, he's done the tag, so it's not, you know, it's not a debut in in any, you know, sense. But the fact that he's out there and you know, athletically, you know, can he can do all the moves, you know? And I, I know that's not everything, but you know, he can he can absolutely do his frog splash and his drop kick, and he's athletic in a in a way that you wouldn't expect for you know the YouTube bloke. Um, you know, it, obviously the the boxing has has helped them and such doesn't, as well. But doesn't freeze on the big stage. Mm-hmm. These are two yeah, stadium shows where he's debuted point. at. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's a Kevin Green. You know, like Kevin Green was that really good standout celebrity in the 90s, probably one of the best examples of someone that's, you know, just been plonked into wrestling and, you know, performed well. I know that was one match. You know, it was a tag, so maybe, you know, Logan Paul's that that guy now is, you know, to look to, you know, that's, you know, kind of gets it. It goes to speak whoever laid out the match and Miz, you know, for him to do that and give him the confidence that he can do that, you know, that, that took a I've lot seen, of balls. Um, and I think doing it is seen Hurricane Helms, I think, credited with uh, with training Logan Paul. Is that right? I think that's uh, that's the case. I think he gets the, uh, the credit there. Well, well, fair play to him, because I think he gave him the confidence to go out there, you know, in front of that many people. You know, first mm-hmm. time, you know, a singles match. Well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, he looked great. It was really, it was very entertaining. And you're right, yeah, Miz deserves some some credit as well, you know, for uh, for, for for being in there with him and willing to, you know, put, put him put him over and uh, do it. It was one of those matches. It felt to me like watching that match. Everyone kind of wanted to hate it, and the fact that you know the dispositions were wrong, you know. Not that I particularly want to cheer Miz, but Logan Paul as a babyface is something they're going to have to rectify long term because the, the lad is so obviously, you know, a heel in everything he does in life in general. You know that that's just what he is, and it felt like they were struggling to get to get the crowd because of that maybe broken down up because of the fact that he was trying to be like this blue eye babyface. But I think it was it was just how well he did in the match dragged everyone into it, and then it was kind of ten minutes in forgotten about one JP. Yeah. I think that was one of the more incredible aspects of it. Like, cause I, I thought I looked at the reactions beforehand and this wasn't a crowd that was like predisposed to want to cheer him. But I think one of the things is, is with celebrities, it's how serious are they taking it? That's whether or not you can win round slightly more jaded fans and you can't fault him for effort and doing a whole and working hard at this and taking it seriously. Like to the mm. point where you, you're watching this and you realise, like, this guy is, is good. You can't deny it. Like, at this, he uh, he has the aptitude for wrestling. Like, you can just mm-hmm. get that straight away. And he has the athleticism and all of the other things you've, you've mentioned there before. It, where do they go from here? It felt like, you know, it would be him and AJ versus, what was it, like, Miz and Champa and stuff like that. Are they going to build to a feud with AJ at some point? He turns on him. Maybe. You know, the, 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 there are things to do with it. I think it's probably the case where, for the time being, keep him to those big stadium shows, make him feel special, mm. make a Logan Paul singles match, just feel special. And it goes to Alan's point about not having him, like if he's not going to be on TV every week, because you need to be thinking, really, what is the next pay-per-view? But then there's the whole bigger issue of 
you've a bit of faith that there might be a long-term plan. And mm. I think there's going to be that follow-through on angles and storylines and mm. on the change on there. Mm. As your cat managed to do <laughs> what I got to on here, a while ago, <laughs> jump on the seats. It's a little animal uh, show tonight. And they got a movement man here as well. Um, but no, like yeah, that, I thought it was really impressive, Joan, from him. I thought he was a highlight. You know, maybe there was a bit too much of that on this show. You know, I think Pat McAfee and his match with, with Happy Corbin, like it was good, but maybe not to the level of the previous yeah. Pat McAfee performances. He's still, you know, it's one of them. I mean, it's a it's a worn point, but it, you know, it bears repeating. It is true. You know, Pat McAfee, Logan Paul, these guys do kind of show up the the NXT, you know, the whole performance center and you know the, the guys that they produced over the years. Although I will be careful because I do feel like we said that a little bit about Dominic Mysterio when he debuted. I think we were impressed by one match and Boy, has that lad not progressed one bit since. But, you know, that, I think that point remains, you know, although it wasn't like Pat McAfee's best best appearance, he still looked, you know, pretty good in that match. That was a solid little one. You know, again, I'll I'll take both of those lads over, you know, Dominic Mysterio and, and whatever was going in on, on that the, that judgment match. I think the lad, the lad needs needs tying down and, you know, to be honest, like he, one needs to get in better shape if he's going to be a wrestler on WWE TV. He just, you know, he's he's using the excuse yes. of his dad's bodysuit to, uh, you know, to just turn up to, to the show like I would, you know, look, look like I like look sat, sat here doing a, a podcast with the the world's worst haircut as well. That doesn't help as a as shit mullet, but you know, he's got two celebrities here putting him to shame, hasn't he? He's supposed to be like a third generation star and. Yeah, I thought that the tale of those like three different matches, like it said everything, didn't it? Really, like Logan Paul was far and away, you know, the most uh, impressive out of the lot. Pat McAfee still looks, you know, pretty good um, mm-hmm. considering his level of experience. And Dominic Mysterio, who's what you know, year and a half in, two years in at this point, as far as being on main roster, and he's still, you know, doing what he's doing and looking like the work experience, but. He should have been going away to like what would have happened back in the day. And the one thing that he's never had, that lad, is going away on the indies, learning his craft, like kind of discovering mm. things for himself. It's if you're Ray Mysterio, son, and the uniqueness of Ray Mysterio, but you don't really have any of the sort of physical qualities and attributes of your dad, it mm. then means you have to become something else entirely different. And that's never happened. And I don't think the WWE system has allowed him to. He's not been in the situation where that'd be the case. You'd hope somebody would look at it and go, we need to kind of take this guy out of the firing line. I get why he's on this particular show because there's an element of, and this is what WWE do right about their cards on these stadium shows at times is like, particularly like a, you know, we've seen them do this in the past where there's the requisite, they didn't overstack it. So everything had a bit of time to breathe. And so things like, Pat McAfee, Happy Corbin, I was much more kind of thinking, this is fine for what it is. I don't have high expectations of this being great. And they've built a nice little story between them. And it's the kind of match that should be on a SummerSlam. If you wanted these stadium shows to be the more special shows, it's the kind of thing that should be on there. It's just that seeing Dominic Mysterio on like what we think of as big four pay-per-views mm. is shouldn't be there. Like he yeah, shouldn't be there. He's like Simon says here in the chat, he's a slightly better version of David Flair. That's what I think when I see him. I don't think like wrestler's son and the, the template of all these great second generation stars we have in wrestling. I think wrestler's son in the sense of untrade David Flair in a t-shirt. That's how he comes across to me. Eric Watts. You know, something like yeah. that as well. Yeah, well, I think I think Ray made the mistake, you see. Ray came from his uncle, so Ray should have looked for a brother or sister of his that had a kid 
you know, and that would have been, you know, the next Rey Mysterio, not his own son. You know, he didn't follow, he didn't learn from his own history <laughs> where where talent came from. So, yeah, Dominic's not progressed, you know, to the to the level that I think most people would hope. He's still in Ray's shadow. You know, people are waiting for a feud that's going to fall on its arse. As soon as Dominic is away from Ray, he's going to sink, you know, super, super quick. And I think that's the danger. I think Ray might be politic, you know, politicking to keep him close, you know, to give his son at least a, a chance at things, but he needs to do something and to break out. And he's, well, I don't think even if he was given the opportunity, I'm not saying he has, he's got mm. the ability to do that anyway. And I think he's always going to just be raised son. Yeah. Chris and I, like Ray Chris thinks Mitch. he's helping him, doesn't he, JP? Like he thinks he's like, <laughs> think this is like helpful to get him on TV and get him this exposure and get him this run. Like it's just, it's the worst possible thing for him. He needs to go away train come back and just be something different like it's not helpful to be like hanging around there with your you know your dad who's twice your age and is somehow like 10 times as cool as you are if you take this into other sports if like the manager of the team is basically if a player is getting picked it's phil neville in america who, isn't it? who he's got his son is. playing for him for yeah. um who are they like is it la somebody or in miami team, my son saw them play new york city and said they were shite that was yeah. at Yankee Stadium. He said, Inter Miami, shit. Phil Neville, <laughs> shit. Kieran Gibbs was man of the match. If you remember him, erstwhile <laughs> Arsenal and Fucking later hell. West Brom fullback. Solid he cheap was... FBL asset, I mean. It was, uh, he yeah, was he would have been. Yeah, back in the day. He would have played when we had our defensive injury crisis, but I digress. It, 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 it feels like Chris mentions there in the chat, he says Dominic could have done with an NXT run. Weirdly, the best place for him is NXT 2.0. NXT Art Attack. If he was there, you know, like Darren Ferguson, you know, getting out of Man United yeah. and going somewhere else, yeah. you know, to make yeah. you know, at least try. Peterborough, though, mate. He loves Peterborough, Darren Ferguson. He's like Barry Fry at Bar <laughs> or something like that. One of those blokes. <laughs> Just ain't leaving this club. Mm-hmm. Like Harry Redknapp in the South Coast. It's never happening. He's never going anywhere else. He can't drive to Sandbanks and play golf most days of the week. Then he's, he's not fucking interested. Yeah, he shouldn't be there. Like other sports teams would would kick off about that, but it's you're setting him up to fail, and you're setting it up like not to work, and you and it'll just get to the point where it's it just kind of like bad heat because his mm-hmm. matches as soon as he goes in, they just lose something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, I just don't see it ever, it ever ever coming along with him. So yeah, that was a low point of the show for me. But I would say, you know, we're, we're burying the lead. We will get to the uh, to the main event in a minute. We're oh, kind yeah. of just diving around like different highlights of the undercard at this point. I will, you know, just to, to circle back around to it because I do think players are beaten. I did think, you know, this was a particularly strong night for, for the women's division. You know, Liv Morgan yep. and Ronda Rousey wasn't up to much, I didn't think, uh, JP. And, you know, they were very creative in, uh, in how they managed to, uh, to protect uh Ronda there in uh, in loss as shocked as you know I was to see Liv Morgan go over. They did uh, you know you got to uh, got to protect the uh, the big star in Ronda, but I did think yeah the, the headline there was the you know the Bianca Belair uh, Becky Lynch yeah. match that was a uh, for me for my money at least a four star match. Yeah. Um. When once the once the apps are fully running again, I'll be uh, I'll be punching that in. Might see, might even go uh four point two five in there as well, but. Yeah, you know, the fact that they did that, the fact that they had the big debuts after with, you know, well, or returns slash debuts or whatever you want to put it, you know, Dakota Kai being literally plucked from the unemployment line, you know, uh, Io Shirai being, uh, being pulled up after uh, lots of talk about the fact that I think people were expecting her to, to leave outright and mm-hmm. now it's Triple H's doing it and all of a sudden there's, uh, there's interest again. I felt like that was a, a big headline of the show and a, and a big positive for the show uh, in general. It felt like they got a lot of stuff right in that mm. opening match 
on there mm. because there was the fact that it was a one year storyline. Mm. Like this was played, this started at the SummerSlam the year before and something that quite rightly kind of was heavily criticized, the kind of needless 25 second win or whatever it was for that. Mm. They've rectified this quite bad Becky Lynch heel turn. Well, for me, it is, it's not a character that connects and it doesn't feel like it connects on any kind of level. And mm. like the look and thing and the look and sort of how she comes across, it's just not the Becky Lynch that got massively over with people. Mm. But and but these two have great chemistry together. They always mm. manage to pull out like really good matches. And, I, you know, I really enjoyed this and I enjoyed the post-match. And enjoyed the fact that they just write, righted that wrong with Becky Lynch, which then makes the next Bian- um, Bianca Belair, Becky Lynch, make that bit more interesting if they do face versus face, possibly at a mania. I wouldn't mm. be like that dissuaded by that. I think that's a, a kind of solid one to go. Bianca's 2-1 up overall in these kind of big matches. I think mm. Becky can get a win back as face versus face. It's, it's how pushed will that match be and be given the time to be pushed kind of properly by Triple H, who's obviously ultra invested in both of these as well. Mm. And I was, I'm always surprised by how easily Bianca Belair has fitted into that top echelon of the women's workers. I mean, I think in terms of overness, it's not at the level of what others have been, mm. but I don't think it's, it's that it's really that far off at all. Mm. Um, and I'll always like, yeah, like you said, it was like really enjoyable. I mean, four stars. Mm. How about you, Alan? Yeah, I think, you know, um, coming out, you know, the match itself was pretty good. And, you know, Becky Lynch worked through an injury as well. You know, she, uh, I think it was a shoulder separated in the match. So mm. that's good on her for going that out. You know, we get to someone else who did that in the Ric Flair show as well in the women's match as well. Like, you know, that was also impressive. So hats off from that. And I think, you know, it was a Triple H. This was the main stamp for me of a Triple H show. You know, the actual ending, you know, to bring out Bailey. And I think Bailey's been positioned now as the main heel, you know, within mm. within that group at least, or that, that elite storyline now. She's positioned. She's brought out her mates. I think, you know, it was a shock to see Dakota Kai. I think a lot of people were thinking she was gone. Uh, Eel Cherie's changed the name now to Eo Skylar. Chris is saying in the chat, and it's not the worst, you know, name change no. ever. Um, anyone who's kicking... Mm, I was going to say, anyone who's kicking off about that, it's, a, it's not a real argument, because, like... It's like, oh, oh, are people too stupid to pronounce her name? Yes. Like, how many people did you see put up, put up, put Lo Shirai on Twitter? <laughs> it's like, yeah. it is one of the most commonly misspelled, misunderstood names in wrestling. It's no, Nothing it's wrong. no, we're making promise. it easy for your fans at all. Yeah. And I think, you know, well, Bailey uh, is still positioned as that, you know, main heel person. And I think, you know, she came out, she looked great. You know, they all look great, you know, coming out all polished like most of the WWE women do. And for Becky to now, you know, pivot back to where she was successful was the right move. So if something was done quickly, you know, from Triple H, and to show an example of something done quickly, is it, you know, moving Becky Lynch to where a lot of people, maybe Vince was the only stubborn one that was going, you know, in that heel direction for the last year or so. So that might be, that's his stamp this week. What is it next month? You know, is it, is it something else somewhere? Not like him to be a stubborn prick about these things. <laughs> They're in the obvious choice. Like slap bang in the face, but yeah, it was it was like all of, it was like all of the things you kind of want to see them do, 
Mm. And frankly, it had the look and feel of a match that you wish AEW's women's division had. Mm. Like that kind of like it it felt it felt big. And it felt yeah. like a was that the that only one to think Sasha was gonna come out though, or Naomi? You know, I thought I this thought was maybe like it. Mm. Yeah. And that's the story this week that apparently, you know, they are I mean it, where did they come from? It was like wrestlingusource.co or something like that. So I'm right, treating yeah. it with a pinch of salt. But there has been talk of uh, I mean, they, I think they will. I think they're almost certainly got to, you got to look at this and realize, oh, an emphasis is being put on the women's division again. Triple H has always been good to us. You know, this is it's he's not who we fell out with. Like, I'd be mm. shocked if they don't come back. Like, they and uh, to be honest, as much as I'm an AW homer and I'll say AW is the best option for most people, I don't think it is for women. I think. Yeah, especially in the Triple H led WWE, I think you know the WWE's women division. Even with the the shitty booking, you know, year on year and the years since those great takeovers of uh, of years past, still yeah. a stronger division. The women in it are still bigger stars, um, just by virtue of being in WWE and being presented as you know, you know Becky Lynch is presented as one, of, if not the top star in the company, will probably be on Roman and Brock, but she's yeah. number three, isn't she? She's uh, she's up there, you know. The whatever you want to say about the week to week booking. They have a million and one people they can send out in those media rounds, and she's one of those people that they want to want to put out there. And I'd be like in agreement with you as there as well. I mean, I was really surprised about Io Shirai apparently mm-hmm. resigning, not going to stardom because you know, as a no doubt we'll get onto later on. Obviously, Bushi Road are doing a much bigger investment into how they view women's wrestling in Japan, and. As a result, you would have thought she'd be one of those kind of figureheads that they'd really want to, to come back in, seeing as, mm-hmm. you know, Kyrie Sane is back there as well. But the fact she stayed over is like a, I think that that's a that's a really big deal. And it's main roster as well, which had been such mm-hmm. a, a long time coming. Um, and I haven't, you know, I haven't spoken on, on Bailey here, but it felt like, like just that little if you can get that little repositioning around that top end of the women's division you've kind of got six like stars once you throw Sasha mm. Banks into the mix that's much more interesting than what the men mm. have got like much more interesting mm. like if you're looking at it from a star power perspective mm. and you look at the top six whether it be you know Bianca Belair um Bailey Charlotte Ronda Rousey Becky Lynch and, and, and Sasha Banks, like compared to the men, once you get beyond Roman and Brock, like mm. it's, it starts, it starts like for that genuine kind of like big, you know, big main, main eventers that you want to build your kind of product around. That's where WWE really need the work. This has been a relatively simple fix to an issue. Mm. that, And if they are signing, then it shows you the kind of culture that Vince McMahon creates that they're willing to. And, you know, Sasha Banks has never made a secret of her desire to want to go and wrestle in Japan and things like that. I mean, mm. I doubt that'll happen within WWE. I don't think it, we're going to be entering into that that kind of world of wrestling quite yet. But the mm. fact that they're getting her to stay, I think that's just such a damning indictment on, on Vince McMahon and shows mm. you where a lot of the issues are and about where that element of spite came through from the broadcasters. Like, that was mm. just Vince speaking through Michael Cole's mouth at mm. that point in time. Definitely. Well, yeah, plenty to be positive about, about the uh, the women's division, I think, coming out of a, a summer slam. We've all been punished uh, a million times, so let's uh, we'll keep it in check. Well, I think that was uh, an overall positive. And 
we've got to talk about it, lads. I think uh, the other thing that people are very positive about, like I said earlier, that uh, crazy four and three quarter fitness show from uh, from Joe Monticello. And yeah, um, I know, uh, you know, people will be uh, giving us varied ratings on it. I'm looking forward to uh, to chatting to Matty at some point and, uh, and getting his star rating on it. But the main event of this show, we've got to talk at JP, that you somehow managed to avoid being spoiled on the yeah. gifts of and. And what has happened in it, mate? I mean, it turns out all you need in WWE to get a near five-star match is get, get Cowboy Brock on a tractor. And, uh, you know, <laughs> things go wild. This was... I, mean, I don't know how I'd rate this as a wrestling match. I don't think I could no. go. I could go near five-stars myself, but I always don't grade this as a wrestling match. I was graded as, like, a piece of, dare I say, WWE sports entertainment that, you know, wildly yeah. entertained me for, you know, the, four, the 30, 40 minutes that it... Uh, the lads were on screen. It was fucking. It was new. I'll give them that. It was. Uh, I know yeah. it was quite the fucking visual. That that ringo up on a up on a corner, and you know Roman putting his forty five degrees, mate, steeply up in that corner. Yeah, and it looked like not much gimmickry, unless the gimmickry was really well hidden. Um, it genuinely looked like the tractor had picked it up. It was just he yeah, can drive you know, a tractor. He's not been dicking around on that farm, has he? He's been doing some <laughs> shit as well. I've been out there working because he can operate a fucking tractor. Yes, and I'm can. assuming he's got his HGV license very much in tow for that. So, <laughs> you know, if that's his thing. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know how I kept this spot. I mean, it's, it's more or less because I've been like kind of almost like completely dark for, for like sort of on social media for two days because I wanted to see this and the Ric Flair shows without them being sports. I just went, I'm just going to have to go completely dark on it. Mm-hmm. Um, when... I saw this, I was like, okay, so where can they go from here? And as we recorded the Street Fighter review last night, which is available on patreon.com forward slash grapple, um, one of the things that I, you know, Matty said, have you seen the main event? And I was like, no, I haven't seen it. I don't know what happens. And he was like, right, not going to spoil it for you. I've never seen that. I've never seen that in wrestling. And I have to agree with him. I've never seen someone tip up a ring to a 45 degree lit. <laughs> With a, with a tractor I didn't expect to see it I should have been tipped off when he came out at the beginning doing all that but I just thought oh cowboy Brock he's just loving this shit we're doing some line dancing down at the ring next which <laughs> I imagine he's somewhat of a dab hand that that seems like his sort of social scene with some other big hard Minnesotan farmers um, mm. but yeah he like this was you can't really go back to it kind of after this Like, this is a match now that just needs to be left alone. It can't be thought of as the go-to match because there was something about this that was so kind of, like, definitive in that way. Mm. It was so ridiculous because they'd kind of done everything they could do between these two. Mm. And I wasn't mad on the theory bit. That was like an overly drawn-out plot twist because I didn't hear them ring the bell and I went, oh, has he actually cashed it in? I'm assuming he hasn't. Now, I don't know anything about Raw as well. So is it a case where they said he hasn't cashed it in? He hasn't cashed it. He wasn't on no. Raw, which was the great. Not that I saw it anyway. It was a. Wow. It was a great relief, to be honest. There's a change from Vincent Man because normally he's in every fucking segment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's. You know, he, he, you didn't have like I thought that was weird. Him coming out because he came out and just kind of got destroyed and then it enabled them to use the briefcase. And I was like, not that special a weapon, is it? Not the briefcase <laughs> out of the beginning of Pulp Fiction or something, is it? It's not like. <laughs> It's got some sort of magical glowing force inside it for them to hit it with. But I enjoyed this for all of the bells and whistles and everything else and the Brock big match formula, which they've 
managed to successfully also plant onto Roman as well. Like mm. that's the way to do these matches. The crowd seemed to love it. It had that element of the spectacular. So it finished off things in a kind of like a, a big way. Heyman taking that bump through the table. I didn't see that, that coming. Mm. That was, I thought it was great. Like, you know, and, and like it was, it was wild and it's kind of what it should be. I'm not mad again. Like I, I I'd probably go four stars on this, mm. if anything, like, because it's like a hell of a lot of fun, but there's things about it that aren't great. But then I expect, again, like I said earlier on with like Pat McAfee or Logan Paul, I expect to see these on these big stadium shows and it delivered what a main event on a big stadium show should do, where you have that spectacular visual to take away from it. And a match that was like a lot of fun for what mm. it was. Like mm. it's, you know, it's, it's not like these two have bad chemistry or anything together. They've worked enough of these big matches in big main events now enough times for them to be able to, to know exactly what they're doing. And it, mm. and it works. And it's yeah, not it was like a spectacle, was, wasn't it? It was definitely mm. a spectacle. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And as Chris says in the chat, you know, it's not a guarantee because that Mania match was pretty dull, wasn't it? I mean, I know there was oh. you know, an injury there that kind of caused problems as well. But, you know, you're not guaranteed that. Like, I would rather this. I'd rather than go out there, do some nutty stuff. Brock can stiff Roman a few times. Poor Roman yep. definitely got a, a dog's life on this one. Do some wild spots. Like you say, I pop big for the... Because you just don't expect Heyman to, to go through a table. Pop big for the for the tractor spot. Pop big for Roman rolling out the ring. Pop big even for him getting lifted up by the tractor, even if the bump itself was was pretty pretty yeah. tame and, uh, and disappointed in the end. They were just... It was, uh, you know, to quote... Uh, Joe, RIP and Peace Street Angel. It was a it was a WWE moments match, wasn't it? Exactly, yeah, exactly what it was on. Yeah, it was definitely one of those WWE moment matches. Brock works great as that character, that Jason Voorhees character that just keeps coming and yeah. coming mm. and coming. And this is what we saw here, and that was the story of the match. He just kept coming and coming, you know, regardless of you know what was thrown at him with the interference as well. And then we saw you know Austin Theory come out and made to look like a total geek. Well, you know that's maybe where his his direction's headed now with that, you know, money in the bank, but no credibility trying to cash in. But no. I think there's been better last man standing matches in WWE history. This is kind of the, the, the top end, but it didn't have the drama of someone counting, you know, down, you know, one, two, three. It wasn't that type of match, and that's okay. It was just mm. bury the big guy under a pile of shit and let's just hope yeah. for the best, you know, and that made sense, you know, as well in its, in its own way. So, Overall, I thought it was fantastic. I think, you know, the, the use of Brock, com, you know, with the tractor made him come out as big of a star as Roman did by going over. So it didn't hurt Brock at all to me going out with this. He's that crazy guy that's just going to come, you know, on TV or a major show and just do something you've not seen before. And that's a great position to be in because, you know, there's always excitement with someone that could, what what's he going to do next? So I thought, you know, they played that well as, you know, with Brock leaving, just not hurt by the loss. Mm. Yeah, that's it. You know, and that's you know, he's the monster who had to be, you know, buried under a load of debris and you know, that that kind of work for him as well. It if I don't know still others, like I feel like, you know, again, you don't want to do too many somersaults for, for WWE and you know, like this was an all-time of pay-per-view. It wasn't, but like 
you give you give this at the end of the show, and I don't know anybody who didn't walk away with a smile on their face or wasn't, you know, at least finding some perverse entertainment out of it. They needed this on this show, didn't they? You know, hot opener, which they got, you know, with uh with uh, with Becky and uh, and Bianca, and then hot closer like this in a in a very WWE way, but in a way that yeah, kind of left you walking away going, felt like I got my money's worth there. Yeah, and I think that helped with the overall running time. Because what was this? Three and a half hours? Mm. Like, there are nightmare shows of WWE from like two years ago. We're like five mm. hour long beasts. This was a lot more manageable. There was a lot less matches on this. I know there's a lot, load of filler stuff they have in the middle, which just feels yeah. like the kind of product placement you expect to get when you've got a presentation from a from a publicly traded corporation. This is This is the kind of commercial deal that they have to make and they're going to put loads of VT packages where you're just like why am I watching this thing on Kurt Raw was like that because they went for the first hour like commercial free so instead you just got random video packages like on the paper it was just like here's an advert for Charlotte Flair it was just like endless like I mean the thing is they just got fucking time they need to fill up and that's uh, the other issue uh, with Raw but that felt a bit like that as well yeah, yeah, it's what they are, and it's the kind of product that they put on. Um, but they've, you know, it, they've got it. It feels like those kind of really bloated pay per views, and they're very much going to become a thing of the past. I think that we're going to see a lot more in line with having seven, eight matches because, yeah, previously they've done an absolute ton of stuff in there before, and they've had, um, yeah, it, it's 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 quite shocking, honestly. Well, I suppose the, the one man we didn't talk about in our uh, our SummerSlam uh, talk there so far, and you know, wow. he's uh, it was his weekend, so you know, I think this works as a great tie into the next uh, conversation we're going to talk about. As our mate Control left Jeff, who uh, you know, I, I think that uh, that tag uh, tag match really didn't need Jeff Jarrett. It was a really odd decision to. I know it was Nashville, but to make him um, and it was the, disappointing the for that one. Yeah, it was just it was like their worst match they they've had together, and yeah, Jeff, you know, there wasn't really any real shenanigans with him. He just he was just there as a special referee. Got a bit of a pop. Came out to a shit. Well, I say shit to the I've got a bit of love for that. Didn't come out to my world. Wasn't pure uh, distilled. Uh, Jeff Jarrett, but you know he, he got his he got his moments in the sun. But he's a great tie into our our next subject, which is uh, the second big show um, of this weekend, in which I feel like Jeff is fucking <laughs> chewing scenery off the place. Uh, Rick Flair's last match, uh, which you know you've uh, you've seen as well, Alan. This was. Yeah, I mean, if you asked me what was the uh, the big show of the weekend going in, I might have said this over <laughs> over SummerSlam to be honest. And they got the uh, the much uh, vaunted uh, Sunday night slot uh, as well, um, as opposed to uh, to WWE on the being on the Sunday, which kind of made it a bigger deal as well. Bought the pay per view on fight uh, with my own money as well. I was that I that hype bought it on a uh, on Sunday night JP that I ended up uh, yeah tr- trying to stay up for it. I ended up falling asleep unfortunately because as we'll get into, you know, there were bits that were strong about the undercard, mm. and there were bits where it was very clear, you know. The crowd hadn't came to see some of these lads, and some of the lads, not all of them, maybe we're we're, uh, we're treating this like a, a WrestleCon media weekend. But we can get into the uh, the undercard uh, in a moment. But I think we've with this one, we've got to you know speaking of the carnage of uh, Brock and Roman, we've got to lead with the carnage of uh, of Rick Flair's last match. And yeah, I don't know about you lads, but. I don't know if I feel ghoulish in saying this. Maybe it's the fact that I got up the morning after and watched it 
safely in the knowledge. I say safely, not that I'm really that arse that uh, that Ric Flair was was uh, hadn't you know died in the match, even if it looked like he he might have uh, at certain points uh, in this thing. But I was aware of the news that he'd uh, he'd survived long enough to uh, to give his best mate uh, Kid Rocker a fist bump at the end of the show. Which there's nothing more Ric Flair, I don't think, than uh, you know your your son-in-law Conrad Thompson who put the show together is leaning in for a hug. And you half dead at your feet, lean past them to just fist bump you make you make kid rock. Like that's the uh that's the replay story, ladies and gentlemen. But as a match, I I did enjoy it. I mean, if you if you go in and I don't know where you land on this, Alan, with the I think it's a given he shouldn't have been in there. It's a given that the 70-something-year-old shouldn't have been wrestling on this night. You know, 73, isn't he? He should he shouldn't have been out there. You know, the I don't think. I've seen people say he was taken advantage of or, you know, it, it was sad in that way. I mean, this is what Rick Flair wanted. I don't think, you know, anyone was making him do anything he didn't want to do. Maybe should, people should have been the grown-ups in the room and told them no. But it's a bit like the Cody situation, you know, the whole thing with the you know the Bruce Pack had the same take. Match, he probably shouldn't have been in the ring, but once he was there, I did feel like it kind of elevated the match a little bit and... Yeah, I don't know whether it was because it wasn't selling for most of it where he was uh, falling apart in this thing, but I don't know. It gave it a bit of a bit of drama, a bit of emotion in selling. You had, you know, the heels, you know, running this thing. It was a Jeff Jarrett masterclass, in my opinion, as far as it feeling like, you know, Jeff and Karen, it felt like Triple A Jeff and, and Triple A Karen were, you know, were getting the crowd going and filling those blank moments where, you know, clearly Flair was uh, in no con- no condition to be part of the physical elements of the match. Jay Little did a lot of good work. Andrade knew his place in this thing as well. And I can't say it wasn't a mess, but I don't know. I can't say I didn't get a, a lot of enjoyment out of it. Um, where are you on it, Alan? Like, are you on the, uh, on the, on the you know, the moral finger wagon side of, you know, this thing shouldn't have taken place or could you you know, enjoy this thing for, for what it was, you know, watching it in the uh, the cold light of day the day after. Yeah, if I was normally against it to the point, you know, that I didn't think it should have happened, I wouldn't have watched it because, you know, you can't then go and watch the show anyway. Or, you know, this match, you know, if you like dead against it, you should like stay clear. You know, it's not... Yeah. Things are for everyone all the time. You can't agree with everyone's decisions. You know, Rick Flair's an adult. Lots of other people around him are you know, adults. You know, there's not stupid people. There might be some stupid people in his camp, but, you know, there is... Not an overall sense that, you know, his camp's got it together. Um, I don't think it was as much of a cash grab than it was, you know, for Flair's ego. Uh, that's been talked about and admitted by everyone, you know, concerned as well. And, and that's okay. So to not touch on Flair is, you know, he's, you know, the things that, you know, long time fans have known about him that he is a gratuitous sex pest, you know, in, in many ways, you know, he will force himself on people. He has done that. He's got a history of doing that. Uh, Moving away from that, this match was, you know, like a car crashing away. You know, you couldn't, you know, not watch what's going to happen, you know. And I was just astounded, you know, just showing how much broken down Flair is. He couldn't put the figure four on in the traditional sense. He put it on in the way that a, a wrestler who wasn't able to put it on would put it on where you kind of just step into it rather than twisting the leg round. He did that. Mm. And I just think that the, the thing that I'm always going to remember from the match, because you summed it up very well there, Benno, with all the kind of ups and downs and how Jarrett and um, stole the show in many ways or stole the match. You know, it was just a lot of the kind of the cheap uh, Tennessee Memphis heat, you know, stalling, a lot of that. And Larry Zabisco would be proud, you know, that type of stalling. But, you know, getting back to Flair, I think the standout moment for me was when, um, the brass dunks were thrown in 
and uh, Al- uh, Alejandro uh, was trying to get him on his hand, and his in his, and uh, oh, sorry, Andrade, and his arm, his hand was just shaking. It looked like he potentially at that point was having a stroke. You know, I know he mm. did the the gimmick where he pretended to have a heart attack, but it was such a quick spark. Oh, I, I don't think it was. You know, it was in bad taste, but it could have been a lot worse. He's faked heart attacks before. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. He did that on Nitro. So, to, you know, he did that in front of his peers. You know, you've got a, you know, a murderer's row in the front row watching this. I mean, you've got Mick Foley who just wants Flair to just make it through. You've got Undertaker who has his weird relationship. But then you've got Bret Hart there. You know, you've got Bret Hart who's just thinking, I'm glad this wasn't me. And it, it wasn't that bad at WrestleMania after all. You know, against Vince, he's probably thinking. So, yeah, yeah but that's kind of that moment was just that shaking of his hand and how he couldn't get his own, the, the, you know, the, the nooks on himself. But he delivered the shot. He got the figure four on, but he passed out. He couldn't, he couldn't even sit up. He was yeah. that physically exhausted. He looked a lot better in the training than what he was. And I know he's carrying an injury, but that was scary. It was still scary and yeah. something I'm going to remember as a scary thing rather than a cool thing. Mm. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Like at the end, afterwards, as soon as it was over and he was standing up and he just didn't look like he was there at all, he was just gone. And you're like worrying and you you realise, you see the other three guys, because I have to say, Jarrett is in great shape. Mm. And I think you're right. There's a lot of this is like Ric Flair's last match. You'll come out thinking, Jarrett went all out to kind Mm. of go like, you're going to remember me after this because I'm going to do loads of kind of crazy gimmicky shit and like you say he was very much triple A all he needed to be doing is throwing out like tacos to the crowd for that kind of cheap heat as well Mm. and I agree generally yeah it, it was it was a mess but it worked and what but like it's yeah it had the scares and everything else but everyone kind of knew their role of what it what it had to be like Jay Lethal I thought was like he was really going all out to kind of mm. make sure that this the was in between like, of the like I felt yeah. like with him he was keeping Flair and again maybe you shouldn't be in this position but he was keeping Flair going you know there were moments where like clearly there was supposed to be another spot coming and he just gently rolled Flair out to it I was like just go out and blade and we'll we'll, we'll yeah. slow this thing down for another couple of minutes and uh, you know he, was he is, favorite you know, to blade in the book he's on. But, I still can't believe that. Like, because it was a given the player was going to play. No, guitar got used. That was the mm. other main one. What was the color of his robe? <laughs> I can't remember. That was the other. It was Why is it was yeah. pretty right. shitty? I thought it wasn't. I mean, yeah. is that a famous robe he wore? Like, I didn't well, know. no, Conrad's got them all locked up. Can't get given back now to Flair. You know, they're all in, in Conrad's <laughs> vast collection. Like Conrad reminds me of the comic book guy out of um, out of Simpsons. You know, when he had all yeah. that stuff under his uh, comic book store, like heads of wrestlers. That's what be Conrad floating in. You know, some sort of vinegar. You know, in years to come. Mm. Oh, look, there's Larry Zavisco's head over there. I don't mention him before. <laughs> you know, whoever. I don't know, I keep going back to Larry Z, but anyway. <laughs> Just for a podcast background, that's all it is. Uh, yeah, he's a, he's a hero, man, uh, Conrad is. But yeah, he's a... It definitely... The, the, that that was like, you know, I would have preferred a quote like a classic, you know, purple, red or blue robe or whatever like that. But, you know, and, you know, he's got a... He's 73, so he's going to wear a T-shirt, isn't he? You know, you can kind of expect who's rinsed mm. his name, couldn't fucking lend him one of his own original fucking robes. <laughs> no wonder he didn't Jesus him fucking Christ. Yeah, no wonder he didn't hug him. Blame him. <laughs> but they they like were a- his fucking robes at one point. Can I borrow him for the night? No. <laughs> but it's like, as people are saying in the chat, though, it's like, you know, it should be the it should be it for Flair. You know, probably, again, probably shouldn't have happened in the first place, but once it did, 
I don't think it could have gone better. I'm not 100% certain he's okay. You know, I've seen, you know, Comrade and, and, and I put out the, the news story. That Did he go on the pitch that night? I wondered that. I reckon he'll show... Don't you think Nolan Flaherty has shown his face and had at least one? Like, yeah. you could bet that. One? Um, <laughs> well, yeah, probably. Bottle? And someone else was paying, definitely. Um, right. He'd have been taking a slash around the back of whatever bar it is up against the wall. Like, but that, that wouldn't have happened. It was in a lot of ways. It was the wrestler, wasn't it? You know, it's a sad sack. It worked as a story mm-hmm. in a wrestling. Again, I did kind of, you know, enjoy it as a as a match. But in real life, there is that, you know, it is that. It's a, it's a sad, you know, he had to go out there. He had to have his one last match. You could see how much it meant to him that, you know, even though he's had his run-ins with the past and he seemed to not even want to touch Mick Foley, you know, the fact that Foley and Brett and Undertaker are there for him, the fact that Tony Schiavone is, you know, shouting in his ear that he's the, the greatest wrestler of all time. This is what he wanted. If anything, he didn't get what he wanted because he probably wanted to die in the ring. You know that that is that's probably his ultimate goal with this thing. But like, you, it, it was written all over him. This is this is the way he wanted to go out. He wanted this one last ride in the uh, in the sunset. And yeah, everyone kind of came together to make it as good, I think, as it possibly could have been. It is. It's that crazy. You know, in a way, I, I can't draw comparisons specifically, but. A crazy old man, we're going to make him pretend he's still the guy he was in the 20s, you know, and dress him up this, you know, wheel him out. And, you know, you know, like an Alzheimer's patient, you know, you do a good thing where you still, you know, you, you dress, you know, the um, where they're staying, the care home up to remember something from the 50s or 60s. You now people dressed up to take them back to that that area, you know, just for one day so mm-hmm. they can slip back into it. That was this for Flair, like wheel out the old guy. And it was sad in that regard. But I think overall... I enjoyed the pay-per-view and this was it, it delivered enough where I felt that a fan buying the show wouldn't feel shortchanged. You got the flair spots, you got the woo, you got the chops, you got the punches, you got the figure four, you got the low blow. So you, you hit all the things that a 73-year-old man could do in the condition he was in. So overall, I think it yeah. just got away with its skin and the teeth, I think. And in and in hindsight, you know, we were critical of you know, the bill that it was, not even the bill, because the, the segments were actually pretty great, but the fact that it was Jay Lethal and Jarrett as his opponents, JP, you know, that did seem, as much as we laughed at it being Jeff, seemed extremely odd. They ended up being the right man for the job. You know, as Ryan says, yeah. Andy Ryan says he in the chat, you know, Jarrett is the master of being entertaining, you know, stalling, grandstanding, being that chew, ch- scenery chewing, chewing heel. I don't think they could actually, in hindsight, he felt like the biggest star in the room, to be honest. He felt yeah. like a bigger star than Flair at moments. And I feel like, if anything, Jeff stocks up coming out of this match because he showed that he can still go and he can still command the attention of a room in a in a way that a lot of other people on this card maybe couldn't. Yeah, he didn't. And it was a crowd that was predisposed to kind of respond to things like a Jackie Fargo strut mm-hmm. and to kind of react in the way that he wanted to. So it was like immediately he kind of had them on board from the gloriously um, built up intro into my world, I thought, mm. with like the big presentation for him as well, which big is fan. his only music on that. I just loved it. The delay. <laughs> it oh, it was so good. It was it was mm. phenomenal. Um, mm. But yeah, you came away speak- thinking of it because again, he was in good shape and he did all of the things. He was, he, he's the best person for the kind of shortcuts that you needed to do within this match. But yeah, it, it just shouldn't have almost those bits in between it was it was kind of about like okay how is Andrade going to be who by the way he's just a better wrestler when he's in just plain trunks can he just mm. wear that 
or like sort of like proper tights rather than making them wear fucking trousers and stuff like that. It's just like part of him knowing his role, wasn't it? He? he knows where's he, you, the star. He knows he's there to do the bumps. Yeah, he did, and he did the things like kind of you know jumping around in that corner waiting for that hot tag from Flair, which was you know very much delayed and the rest of it. But then when him and Lethal were in there, he you know he, they did enough spectacular spots to kind of keep all of the crowds pleased between the kind of nostalgia for flair, between the kind of cheap heel tactics of Jarrett. You had enough going on in the ring for it, um, for it kind of to work as well. And they gave it plenty of time. That's, Mm. that's the thing, which is not something they did like kind of throughout lots of this card where matches would just come and go. It's what people came for, wasn't it? You, it know, you could tell that with this crowd. Like this crowd, they weren't necessarily au fait with a lot of the indie names. You know, a lot of a lot of the matches kind of played out to to somewhat silence. I felt like some of the people in the crowd were as confused as uh, as David Crockett was with some of those uh, some of those opening matches. But they did come with it, you know, with time. And you know, the lucha match kind of got them going. It got David Crockett going. To be honest, as uh, as much as uh, as much as anybody in the building. But I was going to say, Alan, what what did you? You know, make of the uh, the undercard for, for me, it felt like it did. It picked up at like that halfway point. It felt like that lucha match. Like, say, woke up David Crockett and woke up that that crowd as well. Um, I think it was a good lesson in maybe what you know what some of these modern acts, uh, some of them can translate to maybe a crowd like this that's that's there to see a flare and to to see the big old stars, and some of them can't. I felt like it was a, a bit of a mixed bag, but overall quite enjoyable. Yeah, I think so. We shouldn't lose sight. It's pretty much an historic show, given the fact that so many promotions were involved and played nicely, you know, on that. I know we've looked at, you know, and you know, people building up to the show have looked at like the World Wrestling Peace Festival, you know, in LA in '96. They got a few people jobs in WCW. We've had other kind of shows where you brought people together, you know, tribute shows, you know, like Ted Petty, you know, you've got a lot of promotions in, or you know, Mark Curtis or, you know, Brian Pillman, those types of shows. But we've not had one in, you know, to this level in loads and loads of years. So I think it was interesting to see all these different promotions. And I just liked the young lads getting wheeled out in the commentary positions, you know, with the old timers. They're all like, we're really pleased to meet you, sir. Yes, sir. And it's interesting. I was trying to work out who did they like as the favourites. So I left thinking, and this is my theory, is who did David Crockett and Tony Schiavone think all right, I like working with this guy, and he's a nice young man. And I think there was two. There was the guy who, and I don't know why, so I'm not going to say they're the best, but I think Ian Riccoboni being one, yeah. I think they like they liked Ian. Everyone likes Ian anyway, so that's fair. But then you had the guy that used to be in WWE that was... Uh, Tom Hannifan. Yes, I think they liked him as well as an upstanding yeah. young man. Oh, he's very good as Tom. You know, I think that that's what <laughs> I took away from, you know, impressing the older guard. But yeah, I enjoyed the dynamic. I thought it was a very good... Uh, presentation overall. I think I like the little segues talking, you know, clips and the, you know, the talking heads about Flair. You know, they missed out a load of people they could have had, uh, but I don't know who Conrad's had heat with this tried to do a podcast and he's fucked them off or whatever. He's promised them millions and it didn't work out. So, you know, that's why you might not have got your Magnum TAs. Maybe your Magnum was on, I can't remember, but certain people anyway in that old Crockett um, promotion. But overall, good show. Uh, do you want to go through the match by match, or do you just want to, you know, pinch yeah, give us highlights? What did you enjoy match wise? What were uh, what the ones that stood out for you? Yeah, what were then? So I think the this the, everyone spoke about it is the triple eight, you know, um, four way. Yeah. I think you know all four guys had the working boots on. It was pretty much a showcase match. So if we look at opportunities to have a showcase match, I think triple A came out of this promote this show looking like a 
you know, real viable promotion if this is the type of action they put on. We know it's not just this, you know, everyone that's watching the you know, Triple Manias and mm. all the hijinks they get up to, but from like show stealing matches, this absolutely delivered. This was far stronger than the other four way. Yeah, they were given more time. I think the other four way was a foregone conclusion with Jonathan Gresham winning. I think when you mentioned progress, you mentioned Gresham fall seeming to fall out with the world. Like come to England again, everyone likes you here. So I think that was a foregone conclusion. So I think the four way with the uh, the, the four Lucha guys was fantastic. I think Taurus. Um, everyone, it's, it's that go-to yeah. thing. You know, like you've got a generic remark, like Nick Bockwinkle, oh, he was a class act. Oh, Taurus, he's a fantastic base. I know that's a tried and tested go-to comment, but it proved that in the match. Look, he saved yeah. Bandito's life. I mean, I picked up on that when I watched it straight away. I'm glad others did as well. Bandito did a flip dive, and he was like within two inches of just falling straight on his head. You know, and he just caught him in time. Uh, wow. Um, and I think, you know, it was... Overall, good presentation, good matches, and I think good value for money um, because it was a nice change of pace. You had seven-minute matches, eight-minute matches, 12-minute matches, and a longer main event. You weren't going in. This wasn't a pay-per-view where you've got to sit down, crack your knuckles, and go, right, this 40-minute opener better deliver. You were bang, 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 and it was a nice mix, and then it was kept fresh by the different commentary team. So overall, it was a thumbs-up show for me. Yeah, I thought I thought it escalated well. Like I said, I didn't think you know Mercedes Machine Guns and Wolves as an opener. You know, it, it wasn't the match I imagined them ahead, but then it wasn't in front of the crowd. You know that that you would need for for that match to get over. Thought Killer Cross and Harry Smith. You know, they had their boring match that you could imagine they would have on paper. Just a couple of bits of white bread with no butter on. Um, is them too? And yeah, Killer Cross looked like. I mean, he looks. He looks. You know, he's got his hair grown out. He looks like he can't be asked. I can't be asked watching him. Didn't have a huge amount of notes on the uh, on the four way with it. You know, the Jonathan Gresham went over on that. You know, they did a couple of fun spots. Felt like the crowd was starting to warm up, and and David Crockett was starting to warm up. But it kind of felt like that was the point where the card starts to turn. You know, you got your, you know, you got your, you, you know, you got your Ricky and Kerry Morton coming out, and the crowd got to have their little nostalgic, you know, moment for Rock and Roll Express and get those chants going. That kind of woke them up, and then yeah, it really was. It was that Lucha four way. It was the you know the, the four of them going out there and it kind of showed like you throw you know great spectacular spots like that with four very talented blokes in front of any crowd even a crowd like that that were sitting on the hands for a lot of the uh the flippy stuff that came before and it was so next level and the guys in there were so good that you know yeah got that crowd going and it got david Arcat going and yeah i think from there it was kind of a bit of a home run show i was really into josh alexander and jacob fatu thought they had a, a mm. great little uh, match impact versus mlw i know you'll be a uh, high on that one jp and i thought yeah von eric's briscoes as well that was another high point as shit as the von eric's were and as out of places they were for spots in this match the briscoes with their star power and the way they carry themselves kind of made that work as well and that was another one you could tell uh davy crockett was enjoying particularly mark briscoe you could tell he was a a bit of a fan of still one of the worst briscoe matches you're gonna see Mm. they're not fucking miracle workers or magicians (laughs) can't make entirely make chicken salad out of chicken shit every time and they would know given mm. their job and everything mm. else, what they would be able to do. Like, mm. for fuck's sakes. But yeah, I'm with you entirely, like, uh, in, in terms of it being a lot of fun. I found it like a really nice, easy show to generally watch. The stuff that was bad didn't mm. at least overstay its welcome. I think that's one of the things when you go up and down the card, like you mentioned there, like that match with bloody Killer Cross and Davy Boy Smith, 
I just thought, uh, my my look to my notes, uh, it was only five minutes, thank Christ. That's the, <laughs> that's the note. Because mm. it's just bad grapple fuck, and they're mm. obsessed with it, and mm. they're both pretty dull at it, mm. like this kind of style. They're not nearly as good as what they think they are. Yeah, David and Boy especially, he's so overrated. Oh, he God. is. And they say all this stuff every time to try and hype him and I, you just cannot be interested in him mm. it's like if you want to shit or get off the pot for the pair of them mm. if you want to do MMA do MMA because it's fake MMA you kind of crap at it and it just mm. it's just like it's over in five minutes thank thank god I mean I've said my piece about the, the Von Erics before and, and they're, they're shit I know why they're booked I know why you put it on a card like this but like mm-hmm. why but I did want to mention something about the production perspective because I was looking at the attendance for this show and it's like well they moved this arena because they'd nearly sold 10,000 tickets you wouldn't have known that by the lighting mm. that was like I think a big issue there was a bigger crowd there than what it looked like at times it looked like what was the number because I don't know the number because I was I was guessworking and I literally don't know a number and I thought they might have got three and a half thousand in so what is the number you had by all accounts it was around I, it's Conrad so you take it with a pinch of salt whether or not they moved there because they were approaching 10,000 tickets I'd be kind of thinking around eight but you'd have no idea if that was the case and there were always going to be some issues with the miking and I thought as the show went on they're actually kind of considering it is effectively like an indie pay-per-view. They did quite well, like to kind of do the level of production that they did, but they missed out because they also had the bit with all the VIPs all arrived very, very late, quite near the cameras it overviewed. So there was like this empty row of seats. So it would have given the idea that all the fans are really on one side of the ring when (laughs) they weren't. And it was the thing about, actually, you've sold this arena. You might want to show the arena as well. I mean, we said this stuff about mm-hmm. Arthur Ashe, for example. You're in a fucking stadium. Make it look like a stadium. We've said this with WWE earlier on tonight about, yeah, there was sparse behind the camera, but it looked spectacular for how they did it because they kind of get, like, that immediate aesthetic. So I thought that was one of the things. But, yeah, when they when they rotated lads in and out of the commentary, I thought, this is what mm-hmm. you do when you have multiple promotions on there. Um mm-hmm. And they had we're great seeing, people as well. There were yeah. so many people in town that were perfect for you know every every match. Really, had like a perfect voice, didn't it? I even I even enjoyed the fact that it was Jim Cocker Promotions presents. I thought that was really cool, and having like the old school backdrop and having David Cross, lovely logo in the corner, Giovanni in front of it. Yeah, it was really, a lot. All those little touches were really nice. Like there's a lot of a lot of things. I think no Jim Cornette like, though anywhere. That was weird. Well, we know he's in dead against it. I mean, he's feuded with Comrade. You know, Brian last time. Right. Is a, is a major reason. I think that's blood into that. But it would have been nice to see, you know, a few people like that that are still talked about from that era that, you know, Jim Cornette is, unfortunately, if you, if you don't like him, still talked about. So mm-hmm. it would have been good to have, like, oh, he we still know who he is, you know, on this. Mm-hmm. But it's not it's just a minor quibble. It doesn't really matter in the, in the grand scheme of things. It was all about Flair. And still, ultimately, making a profit for Flair and Conrad. And I think looking at what they sold, like you said, JP, if they were, you know, bored with six, seven, eight thousand. With a bit of merch, you know, the fight TV revenue, whatever Star else they're doing in terms of, yeah, exactly. And Starcast are successful in its own right. I think they've got a good thing going on. And I think they can now potentially do a Starcast show that's not another pay per view. So it's a Conrad promoted show with like mm-hmm. a, you know, dream matchups, you know. And I think we can may- maybe see that each year now moving forward. Mm. 
Rick Flair's match t- last match too. When? Well, <laughs> this is going to be the thing, isn't it? it? It's it's like he is still the central hook, and you mm-hmm. kind of you've promoted his last match as the first match with this kind of promotion and this banner. I mean, it looks at times I thought well, this is like a really jazzed up version of the NWA when it first came back, which would mm-hmm. have been like Dave Lagana, Billy Corgan kind of era for this, and it had that kind of requisite amount of nostalgia and other things like that as a, as an event that piggybacks off big shows. I think, you know, it, it's, it's the kind of thing that, that works really, but it's like, where do they go? Who's the other Ric Flair esque kind of hook you add on to future shows for it? Because mm. th- that's the problem. If this made no money, this would be one and done, but it isn't. Mm. It's made money. I'll be interested mm. in the pay-per-view boys. Like I said, we were quite bullish. We said like this could be doing like 20,000 20, is the limit, but I think five figures. Mm-hmm. How much is that going to bring in as well? Like, well, I was one of them. I paid me 17 quid. Yeah. I paid in dollars, so I got it cheaper, but you know. <laughs> Good lad. I, I, I'm bullish on it. I think it'll do well. I, I really do. I think people will have turned out for it, whether it was for the indie names or just the flair tag on it. Yeah, I... Maybe a moral failure, but a business success. I think it's probably how you can you can sum this thing up. Yeah, and and it had because it was, and Alan mentioned it as well. Like because it was the a festival show. Basically, mm. we had all these other promotions kind of inserted into there. I, I, I think this is, you know, the idea, the way it was presented is how you should be doing these shows, where it was like everyone was on their best behaviour. And there was no so even when you had the bullshit and the Josh Alexander Jacob Fatu match, I was kind of all right with it because I went, I oh, know I'm all right if we build up to a proper match between these two that's properly built, which is coming. Like MLW working with Impact is absolutely natural, and it would really, I think, for me that like that'll be the that'll be an interesting direction to keep an eye on. Well, I mean, yeah, all in all, I think we uh, we all uh, enjoyed that show. But we, uh, we've we got you for this first part of the show, Alan, so we're, uh, we're going to let you go. But before we do move on to uh, to other subjects, I was going to ask for your plugs, but one of, as one of our subjects is uh, is New Japan, and we're going to get into some of their shows uh, yes. from this week. I just thought maybe maybe you might want to, just before you go, mate, do a, do a quick victory lap. I don't know if anyone wants to uh, continue to at you with their half-baked excuses about uh, New Japan having a... Yeah, I don't understand the culture, Benno. I just don't get the Japanese culture. I never have, never will. I just, just don't understand this deep-rooted, you know, it'll start with Jackie Sato, you know, in the 70s, and I didn't get that, and I didn't understand Chikosa Nagara, and, you know, all you know, the crush gals in the 80s, and I didn't understand everything that went through the 90s, you know, with uh, Toyota and Co. I didn't live through some of that. Wasn't a big fan. No, you know, ridiculous. So, yeah, if people aren't understanding, so New Japan announcing that they're going to well, Stardom announced it anyway, that there's going to be, mm. you know, New Japan women's matches. Mm. You know, they've hinted at that now with a couple of years on Dome shows. You know, where, um, you know, the second one, I think, was more well-received than the first, but, you know, they've got confidence in Bushi Road. Well, Bushi Road have got confidence that, you know, there is, you know, a bigger market or a bigger platform and New Japan can supply that to the women. Not necessarily is that going to be a, you know, every show. I think we're going to see it on the major shows. I think it's the right move overall. There's nothing wrong with raising the profile of talent so those talent that work their ass off can work on a bigger stage for a bigger payday. How selfish of it of people to think all these traditions that don't mean diddly squat because New Japan in the globalised wrestling market 
are always going to look for the things that are the same as other companies. And they've held on for this long. It was writing on the wall five years ago. This is why I tweeted it. I was maligned then by many people who sat there, you know, in the pajamas telling me I'm wrong. You know what? Absolutely, I was right, you were wrong. So guess what, guys? Suck it. I'm very, very happy with the to say that, you know, I went in for the long haul and I got there in the end. So, I've, you know, like we said in the pre-show, you know, victory lap definitely, but then I need to, you know, put my energy down into the Big Daddy campaign, move on to that. But if I'm going to leave on one note, it's just to say thank you, New Japan, for throwing sense and getting some women with a bigger platform. How dare am I to think that these women should toil away being watched by 10,000 people when they could be watched by 40. <laughs> the internet the internet processor is never wrong, Alan. That's the thing. Right. Even when we're wrong, mate, we're proven right by the end. You just think, got yeah, to trust the process. That's all. Yeah, just trust, trust the, the process. process. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Do you want to tell people where they can follow you for more, uh, more such takes, Alan? Yeah, so you can follow me on Alan, that's A-L-L-A-N underscore cheap shop. Um, I post things at weekends mainly now. You know, you get a good little mixture. There'll be at least one thing. If you go through my timeline and just look back, you know, if you're bored, ever, just go through my timeline and you just find stuff that you might think, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't remember yeah. that. You can start a conversation with a friend about, you know, a certain match I've posted. So there's loads of value in the stuff I post. So anyone that doesn't follow, I'd appreciate a follow. And, you know, thanks for everyone. You know, you guys, you know, doing the hard work every week, you know, on the show. I know where uh, Gaz, Gareth, sorry, has stepped down. Uh, you know, he still, you know, dabbles now and again. He's still working on the app, which is fantastic. So, all in all, I wish you all the success moving forward, and hopefully, I'm on within the next year. I hope so as well, mate. Again soon. Hope to see you soon enough. As yes, well. that'd be the thing. Is uh, yeah, I'll just see you that beautiful. That. There we go. Yeah, I want to see that beautiful <laughs> hair of yours, mate. Yeah. It's that beautiful hair every time. <laughs> it is. I love that. When I first <laughs> met you, mate, you had short hair, but it's it's a fine, it's crazy. Fine anyway. Bugger a drive. Thanks, guys. Brilliant. There he goes. Nice one, Cheers, Alan. Guys. Cheers, cool. mate. Brilliant to see you, Alan. As Simon said, the uh, the Brett art of wrestling was yep. there. Uh, is Alan there? But uh, yeah, I knew we couldn't segue into New Japan without uh, without getting out to give us that uh, that victory laugh. Um, just to say, actually, before we do do that, there's some uh, fun uh, comments in the, in the chat here. Just some ideas mm. in what we could do instead of Rick Flair's last match, JP. We could do it uh, a DDP last match. Could uh, DDPV Jake Roberts, Andy says, uh, put pills on a pole match. Kane's last match. Kevin Nash's last match. You know, there's options there. We could have uh, easy uh, yoga rules easy. between DDP and Jake Roberts match, couldn't you? <laughs> Got to win with the down dog or something like that. <laughs> Inhale, Alexa. What, what was the, what was the <laughs> line? Uh, oh, oh God, I've seen no, him enough. Pump it up, all of that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember those. Whatever you do to the left, there. you kind of do to the right, and then there you go. Oh, we didn't reference that actually with the uh, with the players. That's much. I love that uh, the DDP got his little moments and uh, oh yeah, in that uh, in that far too much where like he got he kind of like jumped his cue, didn't he? Like he was stood on his chair as yeah. well. Every professional. Realised he jumped his cue, sat down again, and then did the spots a second time. I yep. mean, we all saw it, Paige, but you know, ever the ever the professional there, but put over uh, Josh Alexander while making sure the uh, the focus was uh, was very much on him. Yeah. There's a lot of them on that show, to be fair. He did. He's always been grand like that. I'm fine with DDP. In it. I mean, if you think of his age, he's probably what about five, six years younger than Flair. You look at the shape he's in and everything else. The idea of him having a match in five years, I wouldn't say that because he's he got very early on the way he transformed on transformed onto the idea of his body becoming like you know a thing for him to work on. So that that was great shit. 
on there as well. I did watch, by the way, on the pre-show, I did watch the Bunkhouse Brawl, which was mad. I, I didn't see used... that. I was gutted that I got home for, it was 12, wasn't it? The show kicked off. And I just assumed that's when it started. And then I started to realise, hang on, people on my timeline 40 minutes ago were talking about Nick Gage or something. I haven't seen any of yeah. that. Like... <laughs> it's a GCW invasion, mate. Fucking hell, and I missed Nick it. Gage came out. Could have been there with like, flag. He was like he was staring down Bully Ray. Chunky Nick Gage, I might add. Still, he's not looking great, is he? He's not. It feels like he's. it's just his body is giving out and it's whether or not he's going to be able to train and all the rest of it. So he came out and then, I don't think he swore necessarily, but he certainly said something to, um, like, to Bully Ray. And then Joey Janella came out through the crowd along with Matthew Justice and Effie and Jordan Oliver and various, I'm trying to think of who else was was in there as well. And then it ended with Mance Warner versus Bully Ray. And I went, oh, and it looked like the whole way through that Bully Ray was going to win. Um, do you want to be any more noisier looking for a fucking ice cream? He's all right. Sorry. Is he all right, is he? <laughs> He's okay. Don't that was worry. a bit rude as well, wasn't it? Um, just to say he knows I'm saying this in jest. <laughs> off he off he goes. Um, you obviously going to go tonight. It was. I don't blame him as well, but I'm suspecting he's going after the nice chocolate honeycomb ones, and I haven't had one of them yet. And I've seen him have two a day. So like, I'm where are they from? Aldi, yeah, Aldi. Yeah, I'm not nice. not made of money, mate. mate. Cost of living crisis. Aldi <laughs> all the fucking time. There's a reason the other supermarkets say this is cheap as Aldi. It's like then I'll just go Aldi. I, I need to do my big little shop. I need to uh, to get down there or Aldi. Aldi's a further journey, you see, but it's always worth it when I go. I'm always glad I did it. Just a long way to go on the train. Nick Gage's last match on there, I doubt it. On, on there as well. <laughs> but yeah, Mance Warner won, which was kind of wild. I know oh, there was like, an interview spot afterwards as well. And I also wanted to say, big shout out for Karen Jarrett, who was loving everything. I'll be said enough. She was mate. brilliant. She was like in her best... Like if she wasn't spitting at the fans, like you know, best carrot that aside, best Karen Jarrett, disgusting heel, like manager to Jeff, who like they did, they they went. She's out like there Sherry. It people should study that match. They went out. I know the flair stuff's hard to watch for some, but they yeah. went out there. They created a whirlwind of heat. It was all in their entrance. Like even just going out there, you know, Jeff mouthing off her fans, creating this hostile atmosphere. There's nobody better at that than them two. And she is a ma- it's it's almost shocking that she was Kurt Angle's wife for so long and never yeah. got involved in the business. Like it took Jeff to her uh, to bring her along, but like she's a massive part of that act. No, you're right to to bring that up before we move on. She is a uh, she is great. Yeah, she is. And yeah. it shows you that the kind of the, there is this talent level that are out there. You just hope that they're lifted up enough for them to be kind of great going into, you know, um, into other shows and, and everything else on there. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, yeah. Like I said, it was the same with Alan there. Like I had, you know, just to go back to it, I just, Honestly, I had such a great time watching that Flair show. Like, really did. Yeah. Like, better than anything else we're going to talk about today. Like, as much as I enjoyed SummerSlam, and as much as I'd be critical of, you know, some of the early matches on that show, that main event was so good. And, you know, there were, there were so many, like, wacky, you know, combinations of people on that show. That, yeah, it was probably my show of the week. It, it is. But do you know what? That sounds like I'm, we're kind of slating... SummerSlam necessarily, which is not the case. And again, if you go back and listen to the weekend show, and we spoke, we spoke about both of these, and they kind of ended up the way that we expected them to be, which in terms of SummerSlam being a show that you just thought, well, it's WWE on a big stage, 
They're going to try and put their best foot forward. They're going to deliver stuff that's crowd-pleasing. Just do the kind of orthodox, normal things that you'd expect them to do. And they pretty much did that. You know, not everything kind of clicked on it. This, there's more novelty to this, isn't it? Um, I think as much as as anything. And I have to say as well, I thought Jordan Grace, like the bits with her and Deonna Perazzo, just to sort of quickly look, looking at some of the other matches that we may well have, have not spoken about so far. I thought that... Um, she was, but there was a point where she t- she was going to slip off the second rope, and she kind of adapted it and to turn it into a kind of like one of those Vader splashes from out of the corner. And mm. when a, her and Diona Perazzo were in there, it was good. And mm. then Rachel Ellering has never been someone who's really kind of connected and just not nearly as smooth or or anything else. So it was like she was like a bit of a struggle, but she was there for names, wasn't she? Yeah, it's have an Ellering on the show. She was definitely a bit out of play. I thought that like either better just doing a straight singles or yeah, you know, maybe pulling another woman from somewhere and having two singles matches, God forbid. <laughs> you know, that, that could have happened. But yeah, I got what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, th- I think that's it. And I think I came away thinking this was actually a lot more of an easy watch. And, and like say, the, the commentary did did like a really good job. I mean, it's not, I didn't have any expectations of David Crockett. So he was kind of fine for what he was. He was just like an old dude having fun at ringside. But what you also realize is the amount Tony Schiavone knows generally about wrestling. Just to mm-hmm. go back onto the commentators again, because he worked MLW. Like this was a guy who, you know, you know, that was his, the way he got back into TV. And when mm-hmm. AEW started on, sorry, Simon mentioned in the chat that we haven't gone on to New Japan. We've gone back onto the Ric Flair show. We're double dipping. That's what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much, that's that's pretty much all, all of my thoughts on there. So it's uh, yeah. good for shits and giggles for the most part, apart from the bit at the end where the old, where you think an old man might die really at any given moment towards you know that's <laughs> I'm bad for not caring I really don't care I don't care if some old sex pest dies I, I don't really know. don't like, I don't know I if don't somebody care. does that and while they're hero worshipping no chance in hell I'm not fucking interested in hearing any of their fucking opinions <laughs> that's true that's true and if you were shocked by anything Rick Flair did I've got a got a boat to yeah. sell you tell you what um, <laughs> but yeah it doesn't make it any better obviously he's still a no. scumbag but you know uh, yeah uh, we knew what we were getting in for and yeah it didn't yeah. you know maybe maybe it was somebody I cared a bit more about I might have uh, had more mm-hmm. of a moral uh, reaction to that but no it was it was a fun show and yeah I'm glad we've uh, done a little uh, quick uh, quick double dip there but yeah we were uh, we may be moving on to uh, to New Japan uh, I might say Alan's given us the, uh, the greater uh, Great intro there. Do you, do you have any takes on that on the um, on the women's division stuff? I think I think generally speaking, I you know I I, I still hold a little bit of pause with it in that I I have always liked the fact like with any other sport, the in Japan the men's promotions and there are women's promotions, you know, and that's fine. You know, I don't think there's necessarily mm-hmm. anything wrong with that. They're competing within their particular leagues. And if you want to watch one, you watch one. If you want to watch the other, watch the other. But mm-hmm. I do see the obvious, you know, benefits to, you know, shop window and stardom, getting more people seeing their big matches. And mm-hmm. yeah, maybe, you know, something I've critiqued in the past, having, having like a, you know, a, a, a stardom, Belt defended on New Japan shows doesn't really work for me because you're only seeing half the story. Maybe having their own particular belt that's constantly on the show with the caveat of I don't want them to fall into every single match is now you know a match for that IWGP women's title. Mm. But it gives it a bit of focus and gives maybe a little bit of a mini division reason to exist, um, maybe with, a, with those caveats said. Yeah, I... 
I'm kind of like you. I've been fine with the setup the way it's been in Japan. It's not something I've like, I've just kind of gone, okay, this is how it is. And like, that's the nature of, of sort of Japanese culture. I think they're doing this and we were talking about this on the weekend show. I think they were doing it as a, like, this is very much a commercial decision. Make no bones about that. This is because Bushi Road, look at their figures. They look at their ticket sales and the company that's showing the most growth is Stardom. And Stardom are regularly running big venues. They've got this kind of solid fan base. They're running lots of pay-per-views. They've done a lot of stuff behind the scenes. And I spoke about this with Karen Peterson before, um, where like Bushi Road are able to get stars like Julia, like Maya Iwatani, like Taima Shishita or Shuri. They're able to get them into more mainstream kind of adverts and placement within Japan. So they're definitely growing. And they've kind of really outgrown, if you ever watched the wrestlers documentary, the, the one that Damien Abram did, um, which I asked him about, like when we did the live show as well. Um, it was one of the things where I really thought that um, like there was a, there was an element that Bushi Road feel like they, you know, to a certain degree at shows and everything else, there's like that kind of element of, distance that that wasn't there previously when it was very much an indie company which just had the frankly the world's best training dojo in terms of the start i my fear is that they will end up just having every time like they'll have stardom it's how it integrates itself into stardom Mm. really because i think one of the things they don't want to do is they don't want to have this new is this new japan title on parity with I don't know, there's all the various kind of belts that they have, like the kind of major and secondary well, the, the white belt and the red belt and the, and the rest of it. But is it going to dilute what the meaning of those are? Mm. You know, that's the area that I'd be slightly wary about because stardom's growing and I'm wary of them fucking around with stardom to benefit New Japan because I think in some ways it does seem to delay the fact that you're not sorting out new Japan issues. Mm. You're using stardom. Of which there are plenty. Of which there are plenty, you know, which would, which would explain generally like our kind of like certainly on this G1 last few days, I looked at some of these cards and I was like, no, I'm not, Mm. I'm not, I can't watch that. That just looks like shit. Just looks like it'll be a waste of my time. And some of the matches will go unnecessarily long. And I think Mm. there is that element to it. It's like, using stardom as a way to kind of like, you know, I get it from a commercial decision, but I also think as well, like you want like stardom as its own entity is growing really well. And it's whether or not do they view new Japan as the platform to help them explode. There's probably a lot of similarities here. And I've mentioned this generally about women's wrestling around the world, that there is a like similarity to women's football where before there wasn't that kind of depth, but now there's real sort of talent and, you know, a lot of people coming through where you've got like this kind of very highly talented roster that you want to be able to display and you want to be able to give them a big platform in order to do it. And they probably view New Japan as that stage. Mm-hmm. A lot will depend on that mixed show they do at the Ariaki Arena, the New Japan starred and one in November. That is going to be like, how does that sell? How do the crowds react? They're going to have like an agenda tag as well. This is not the kind of stuff that Japan normally does. But if, for anyone who, who paid attention to the New Japan business strategy, this is very much in their thinking. And they are a company that at, its, at the end of the day, they have a target for a certain amount of tickets they want New Japan to sell 
and they will, as long as it's hitting that target, then effectively Bushiroad are happy. So they'll use stardom in order to be able to do that. Well, if anything, they need anything really to knock them out of their their current rut. And yeah, speaking of which, I mean, how much of uh, how much did you one of you uh, you caught up with this week, JP? Because it's not much for me. I, I do want to go back, as I said earlier, and uh, mm-hmm. catch up with the uh, with the Nashville show. It was a little bit off put. It definitely looked a bit uh, yeah. bit indie. Didn't feel like a big uh, big pay per view. All of uh, the very good things about Moxley and uh, and Despy. That is something I, I want to get mm-hmm. to, but. Yeah, I barely caught up on last week. I don't feel motivated. You look at some of those G1 results and it's just like, ah, oh, Kenta won by DQ, did he? Great. I don't really want to. Do I really want to dig that out? Do I really want to? Even the matches people are saying are good, like are the above four stars good? I'm not sure they are. It's 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 a real struggle yeah. this year. I, I, I think I've, I've fell behind and I don't think I'm catching up. And that's the, the first time I can say that in, you know, how many years we've been covering it since what, 2017? I'm kind of shocked by how, I'll be honest, by how uninvested I am in this G1. And I think it's because you haven't got... This will be quick. We'll be on to AEW in about three minutes. Yeah, because we haven't got that. Well, we haven't... So, I mean, like, but you look at what day seven was. So that was from the 27th of July. These were your four matches. Yujiro versus Osprey. Toriano versus Fale. Goto versus Hanare. Ishii versus Tamatonga in the main event. Do I need to see that? to know that possibly Tomohiro Ishii Tamatong had a three-and-a-half-star match. Mm. They will fundamentally be decent, but in front of a crowd, do I need to see that? Then you look at, like, kind of day eight. You, I mean, I haven't seen Tanahashi Zack. I imagine that that's good. But Sonada, I'm not going to... I'm not going to spend my time watching him in a G1. He's not suddenly going to surprise me with some amazing match mm. that he's been holding in his back pocket for the last, I don't know, like, five years. Like, mm. I'm I'm kind of done with that. I wish I'd seen Jonah versus Lawler and then Ed Shingo versus David Finley. And then David Finley's had a, like, I thought the match against Juice Robinson was good that he had the week before. No, I kind of like, I focused on the day 10, which is the one that was on today. Um, mm. And I sort of went through and, and watched them. I was doing other things at the time. Um, yeah. Like, mainly trying to put up a fucking bugger of a blind but I'll, another story for another time i thought ishi versus great like you talk about stuff that was four stars in short no i didn't say anything that was but i thought ishi versus great okan was fun that was like the first of them toriano versus tom lawler wasn't the kind of extreme comedy match it was like yano still doing this sort of serious submission stuff but lawler got a win so i'm like kind of happy with that i think him and royce Isaacs are looking great as people know when i do like the weekend show when I talk the preview, the undercard, it's only where is Bad Tito, where is Team Filthy? That is all I'm interested in on undercards. And some of that stuff has been has been kind of fun. But yeah, um, Kenta versus Hiroki Goto was was fine. Um, and then Will Ospreay, David Finley, I must confess, I wasn't paying a lot of attention to it. I was just surprised. It was an upset finish, which was David Finley pinning Will Ospreay, which obviously then is to set up a US title match. Is it? Mm. Is he the US champion or is that Juice Robinson? I forget. Yeah, uh, Juice Robinson's the real champion, isn't he? He's the real champion. Case. Yeah, yeah. So I imagine it's going to integrate itself into the US title situation as well. And the fact they're doing something with Finley is a novelty. But we saw this in the New Japan Cup, and they get bored kind of quickly with this. I think the overall problem is, off the top of your head, you don't know what's going on in the blocks. There are four mm. blocks. They're all happening at various different times. It doesn't feel like you get an idea of how a block goes in a particular mm-hmm. day. I just wish they had four from block D because then it'd be a block D day. 
and you go. Yeah, I'm surprised they haven't done that. Actually, I wonder what the thinking is. And I think that's the issue. And the other thing, and I haven't seen any of the stardom um, five star Grand Prix, and I will look to dip into those. Part of the reason why: fifteen minute time limits. Fifteen minute time limits on that. Now imagine you could have six G1 matches on a show, fifteen minute time limits. Mm. You could have a really like kind of good, solid second half to a card. Have your bullshit multi-man undercard tags on the other mm. bit, but have that in there. The 15 minute time limits would then add a bit of pace and a bit of urgency. You'd probably end up with a few more draws. Fine. It mm. would change up the booking and everything else. It's just that it's and it's still the clap crowd stuff. Like, mm. you know, for us the genie's been out of the bottle for like, you know, a good year. And we're like, okay, we're still in this situation. We're still in September. And even then, it's only going to be segregated. Only a few of the fans. And it's hard to get invested in that after a while, like sort of wrestling in front of a crap cloud. If you're Mm. watching, I don't know. It didn't seem like Undertaker and the rest of them were interested when he was sat there with Michelle McCall. MC plus three, (laughs) as it was written on the seat. Because that's what it said. That's what it said next. Year. Michelle McCall came in there as well. Someone mentioned in the chat, she'll be getting ideas of a few quid for him. Like he fucking needs it. Or if he hasn't got any money, that's on him. That's his fault. <laughs> hey, your daughter's a bigger wrestling fan. Maybe she'll uh, end up being the next uh, next generation uh, star coming up. But Maybe. yeah, doesn't on the G1 side, doesn't sound like I'm missing much um, by falling behind, really. And yeah, it's going to take. <sighs> Some highly rated stuff on the grapple app, really. To get, I don't feel the investment from anyone. Don't don't hear our listeners talking about it. You know, not in the chat, not in general on Twitter. You don't hear much. Tell me who's leading the blocks off the top of your head. Do you have any idea? Don't who's in the blocks. I can't remember. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. It's it. I think it's been you know mixing things up and doing a different setup had to be applauded in some ways, but it doesn't feel like it's a positive yeah. so far from uh, from what you're saying there. But yeah, that's our G1 check-in. Remember when that used yeah. to be a whole show? Um, <laughs> but we have got uh, one big subject uh, we do want to get into before we go, and that is, yeah, the small master of, uh, of AEW. Um, usually mm. kick off with AEW. They've been uh, pushed back for, uh, the last few weeks. And if that says, uh, says something, JP, but uh, we did talk a little bit about uh, Dynamite on the air. Uh, on the weekend show, but yeah, bit of a bit of times uh, gone by, and we can uh, maybe flash those thoughts out in in conjunction with a bit of a nothing happening uh, rampage that uh, that took place at the weekend as well. Apparently, we were both, shocking uh, number. Oh yeah, three hundred something wasn't it? Three hundred seventy or um, thousand lowest eighteen forty nine ever. Just why would it? Why would you like it? Just. I throw it on as a thing, like if I'm doing work on a Monday morning or, you know, a Saturday afternoon, I'm cleaning up or something like that. That's the extent of my interest in Rampage right now. And it's not, mm. if I wasn't doing a podcast about wrestling, I don't, I think I'd just skip it entirely. It's not yeah. really not that, you know, it's not must see. And it pro- they're in that weird spot where it probably shouldn't be either because you put big stuff on it. What's the point? Only 400,000 people are going to watch it. Yeah. It's, it's chicken and the egg, isn't it? And it feels like a taped show that's been taped immediately after Dynamite as well. So you end up with crowd sweetening and stuff like that, which even if you don't notice subconsciously, I think you do, that you realise that this isn't the big show as well because it's it's far too produced as a product, whereas live TV has rough around the edges stuff and that you don't really get that a whole lot of it with. So you know that something's going to start immediately in the ring because they've got a certain amount of time to kind of get to. Do you know what I mean? It's... it. it I'm, I'm just not interested in that. Whereas Dynamite, for example, this week as well, and it was like, you know, 
In terms of the numbers, it was the best number they'd done for, for sort of three weeks. Tough there competition as well. Tough competition in there as well. For the most part, I thought they did another really good job. And I don't know whether it is like a noticeable, if they're doing this deliberately, but it felt like a lot of focus on sort of homegrown AEW guys fundamentally yeah. people who haven't had their big show start in like wwe it was it was the next generation of aw like on a you know on a big stage given you know it almost felt like not a rebuild show but a show where like a reset show what a show where it's like okay we're gonna put our best foot forward for the future or maybe like the eyes of the wrestling news media is on you know wwe right now as far as what they're gonna do next well check out what we've got coming that was the strength of this show, like as well as the fact that I think pretty much all the matches were good, and I don't think it was particularly a, a poor segment among the lot. But it was, it was a, a show where you know you can go right down that list. You know, I think Daniel Garcia benefited greatly, you know, from this time. Like, you know, getting put over Brian Danielson in the main event. You know, there were some shenanigans, but I still didn't expect that result. I thought he got to got to look great on this show. Jungle Boy, you know, we can get into. I thought his promo on the show was, you know, the best oh. I've seen from him. You know, it was a little yeah. bit cheap in parts, but whatever. You know, he's just throwing back Christine what he'd done to him, and it brought. I was going to say it worked of, within the context of the story that they're telling with him and Christian. It brought out a bit of fire in, in his belly, so I thought it was a great show for him. And I thought the absolute, you know, highlight of the show. And we'll get into Moxley and Roosh because that, you know, that was up there mm. too. But I think that twenty-minute bit where pretty much. You know, entirely over those 20 minutes, who was the star on your screen? It was Ricky Starks. You know, he was out there doing what I thought was a throwaway match with Danhausen, which led into the hook match, which led into him, yes, and dropping the belt, which led into him cutting a great promo after the match, which led into Hobbs turning on him. It was like, you know, I said it to you on Friday on the weekend show. It felt like, you know, attitude era booking, but in a good way. It felt like, you know, the night Jericho, you know, won the title but didn't win the title against Triple H, where, you know, the first half hour of the show was this continuous story with these different story beats in it. Like, completely out of nowhere, you know, maybe that's a negative. Maybe I might have liked a, a little bit more foreshadowing that that hook might have been coming for Ricky Starks. But the fact that it was out of nowhere, you know, almost added to it too, in that I wasn't expecting mm -hmm. it. And I got, you know, 20 minutes where at the end of it, I was looking at Ricky Starks like, okay, he's on that list with those list of guys I just said there as far as, you know, he probably should have already been in, in that list as far as front of the year, uh, the queue goes for the next generation of AEW. It was a show that raised his stock massively as well. So it just felt like a, if, you know, if it wasn't the best dynamite of the year, even though it's up there, it's probably for me the most productive dynamite of the year. Yeah, I would go with that. What they achieved on this night and the amount of people who feel better as a result of this show is like, I don't know if there's many dynamites like that because like you say, you, 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 you go through everyone in that segment, sort of bar Dan House and who serves his purpose for what it is. Not going to get in, stuck into the weeds with it with him. He is who he is, but mm -hmm. the timing of it as well. I mean, there's probably that part of me where I, I didn't see the heel turn coming with Hobbs, so I was like, "Oh, okay." Like, really surprised that they went along and did it, but didn't make it any less enjoyable. It felt like Starks finally had moved past the FTW stuff. It's probably the dissolution of Team Taz, which is fine if Taz is just going to be on commentary and be proud dad to Hook. I'm fine with that. And I know it seems ridiculous. I've always enjoyed Team Taz as a stable, but Taz is a commentator now and should be, and should be frankly replacing Jim Ross, who was back on there, which, you know, Simon mentioned this earlier on the chat. 
how often are we in the situation where you're kind of enjoying WWE commentary as much as parts of the AEW commentary? That's a that's a strange place to be. But overall, like you know, you look at Roosh in the opener. Like he got a hell of a lot from that. Now, I said on the on the um, weekend show, he's basically there's a big risk of him being a manual adder by all. Six months, you pay him big, <laughs> and he'll work his ass off. And you think, oh, this bloke's great. Why doesn't it work? And then basically he says, all right, let's talk contract renegotiations, right? Fuck you. I'm going to turn up in Arena Mexico or in Tijuana, and I'm going to do shit for one of them two companies because <laughs> I don't care. And he'll down tools. So I expect mm. to see him in Qatari Pro Wrestling, which is probably the wrestling equivalent of going to like play for Al-Hilal in the Saudi League or something like that. It's a big payday that's tax-free. That's basically the the whole idea of it. But I thought he like absolutely worked his arse off there as mm. well. I thought Sammy Guevara, Dante Martin did exactly mm. what you kind of wanted it to do in terms of from just a differential standpoint of, of how it worked. That was absolutely fine. I mean, I, you know, Rosa versus Miyu Yamashita was, you know, again, that was, that was, that was okay. But I mean, it was one of the things where they don't know who they don't know who Miyu Yamashita is. Mm. It's not something that's built up particularly enough, so it's kind of almost there to kind of pad out the show, which isn't a good idea to do that with your women's champion in particular. But mm. they've trademarked the name All Elite Women today, and it's for oh. something like pay per view. Now I'm thinking that's what you should be calling your t- TV show. And doing a t doing a TV show on TBS or could that TV. be Rampage? Why not? Like, what would happen if you took Rampage away? Would we really be missing out? I'd live without the Mark Henry. Would it draw less than four hundred thousand people? I. How will you know unless you try and give it mm. proper amount of time as well? But mm. if it replaced Rampage, I think that's fine. I also think as well, it'd be the kind of thing where it would just, there would be a degree of novelty to it, but we're not going to know until a company tries to do it. I know women of wrestling have got like some clearance on cable, but that's like Sinclair cable and the rest of it. And we know that with ring of honor, when they were on there, that that's odds and sods of particular markets, but it's very hard to kind of work out an overall strategy. Mm. Whereas I think that would be, be the way to go for it because at the minute, that's the one thing about this show. It's short changed. Mm-hmm. And in terms of star presence in that women's roster, it's Jade Cargill. There's limited enough time for people to actually grow characters who you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then again, you know, there is that issue of that. That's also true of the men's division, isn't it? And, mm-hmm. you know, they, as much as that third hour feels a little, not dead in the water, but a little bit, like I say, not must watch. Mm-hmm. They do, you know, there, there are, you know, people who don't get on TV if you if you don't yeah. have that time as well. So there is that to uh, to consider too. Um, but yeah, I mean, g- going back to the show itself, I'm with you. I really, really, you know, in-ring-wise, really enjoyed it too. I thought, like, I'm with you on on Moxley and Roosh. I thought, you know, just a wild brawl of a match that you'd expect with lots of high spots and, you know, m- maybe not a lot of logic to it, but, you know, a lot of, lot of grit and a lot of kind of, you know, Roosh, like you Did say. Blade? Yeah, of course. Of course. Fucking ridiculous. I thought he had done. But then I think (laughs) about every match he's involved in these days. (laughs) But you got that, you know, and that was like his, you know, really strong dynamite TV match, a Mm -hmm. three and three quarter star match, you know, by by my standards. And yeah, I thought that, you know, at the main event, 
deliver for me as well. If we're talking in ring highlights, you know, Garcia yeah. and Danielson. Like I saw a lot of you know pale clutching over the fact that Danielson was you know selling his brain and neck you know through the match and you know uh, because of his real life issues and, it, and it's a bit like I mean. Is that not wrestling? You know, somebody breaks their leg and they come back. Does the heel not go after the leg? I know it's yeah. a little bit different because it's his brain, but really, is that you know, if really you're trying to win matches? You go after the weakest part of your opponent. If that's the overall premise that so yeah. much of wrestling is built on, and that's what Garcia did, and he did did it well. And you know, Bride sells so well that you know, one you believe mm. in that you know he's genuinely hurt, which maybe that's maybe people are getting a work to a degree, and maybe that's part of the uh, the reaction to it. But also, you know, he, he works his comebacks in really well, and he's as good an underdog babyface as you'll ever find, even if he's yeah. been you know maybe leaning into the slightly heelish side of his persona in AEW and all. But I just thought overall, you know, it was a an incredible showcase for Daniel Garcia. I thought yeah. he was brilliant in the match. He got to showcase a lot of his best stuff. He's been showcasing more and more of his personality, you know, coming out of that ROH pay-per-view. I think it's been a brilliant week for him and, you know, was seeing that, yeah, there is this other side to, to, to Daniel Garcia that, dare I say, is being, you know, brought out with this iteration of his character. And, yeah, maybe... It is the right thing that, you know, he's not in with the Blackpool Combat Club and he's like the, you know, the... the the bizarro version of them, or he's like, you know, he's the he's the he's the guy on the opposite side who can, you know, be that that you know that wind up merchant for them and that wind up merchant for that style who maybe stylistically should be with them, but the fact that he isn't and the fact that you know he does lean into you know this more heelish, you know, more braggadocious persona works, you know, for the story and works for him and allows him to stand out in a way that maybe, you know, he wouldn't if he was just another wheeler user on the uh, the other side of the fence. I'm with you on that. I think it's, I always hope the dynamic... I came kicking and streaming, mate. It took me a while, but go on. No, no, <laughs> it's, it's. It, I I think the, and I get that, and I think for that we'll, we'll deal with, with dad jeans and Kangol hats and the like of it, you know. <laughs> Still the, not a fan yeah. of the hat. Such as, he's a young bloke. He can yeah. wear a hat like that. I'm sat here on a baseball cap most weeks. You know, uh, very much dad. I don't know if he can. Hat. I can't do that snapback stuff. Um, mm. But I'll, I still get him away from Jericho, but anywho. But, yeah. I mean, I get Jericho away from everything based on his commentary if, of this match. But. If the dynamic is, is that the Blackpool Combat Club, Blackpool Combat Club really want him, mm. like I think there's a lot of dynamics where they realise that actually he's the kind of one that got away. Mm. And they would kind of prefer him. Because in the build-up to Ring of... Um, the Ring of Honor show, it almost felt in that countdown show like they were going towards Wheelie Ute the heel and Garcia the face, like for elements of it and how they brought up. And they should be playing up a lot more. Like it felt like the car crash and the introduction of the car crash is, you know, something that we haven't really, they haven't really gone into on previous weeks on, on mm. Dynamite. I think if, you know, if you're playing that kind of stuff into your storylines as, as well a lot more, then you're giving him more of a well rounded character rather than young bloke who's like very good at actual wrestling, mm. like, and not just trying to, you know, here he is, he's trying to do a character for a bit as well. That's the kind of stuff that really connects. It was like, actually he's with Jericho because when he was at his lowest point, Jericho gave him a load of money to help him out. Yeah. Get away from the ironic, I'm a sports entertainer stuff. Yeah. It still doesn't really tie in with, you know, he owes Jericho on so like, shows, etc. But yeah. that, that, no, that bit of extra bit of storytelling, 
like kind of explanation makes all the difference, doesn't it? It mm-hmm. makes it maybe something a bit more real that you can you can invest in. Um, yeah, and if he's just like the anti pure division heel in ROH, I think that'd be a good role for him as well. But you know, we're seeing him grow in front of our eyes, so you know that that part of the experiment has worked. You know, I think that part it's uh, that has been born over time. You know, me and Alan had a bit of a conversation about whether you mm. know putting the funny hat on and being involved with Jericho was was going to be good for him long term and like i say misgivings about the jericho stuff aside he's you know feeling like he's in a better place right now after the kick on with this and focus on the stronger points of it i think it's they're onto something with it will we look at this as ultimately when he has his run with the jericho appreciation society and the point where him and jericho have a feud which is which will happen because he's very much positioned as the the guy kind of coming through compared to everybody else who will kind of you know Hager as muscle and and 2.0 as as the kind of tag team representatives as great as they are and I would actually like to see them have some degree of a tag team run like mm-hmm. as a challenger towards a title I think that that'd be something I'd personally like to see but we you know it he'll be better off ultimately we'll look at the time the end of this time with him and Jericho and we'll say actually there was a lot of good that came out of it and there's stuff, the individual stuff that we won't like, like along the way. But I I think overall we'll look at this and go, no, this is something that's actually benefited Garcia and we can see the tangible benefits for it. And if he is going to be a regular in ring of honor in whatever form that is, and that'll be something I'll need to be speeded up. If he's going to be in that pure division, whether if if he becomes pure champion, just having someone like he doesn't do the, uh, you know, the code doesn't adhere to the code of honor doesn't shake at people's hands. You know, he was bringing up a lot of stuff in that pure title match about rules are being made to be broken. To see him that as just someone who just... <laughs> who needed more rules. <laughs> yeah, who needed more rules. You know, that is that is the kind of, like, you can see what this Daniel Garcia character could become. And you start to think, actually, there's something beyond here of, like, this guy is actually really good at wrestling, that there is this character development that is happening along the way. And, you know heels in the future will go back to his Kangol and dad jeans part of it as well. And that'll become part of the overall shtick of it. But mm-hmm. as a, like I say, I think that's one of the, the nice things of watching this piece of TV. We talked about how bloated it is previously over, you know, particularly certainly from like the build up to um, forbidden door, how many people there's a sense of kind of clarity and purpose about mm-hmm. what dynamite was this week. Do you think if you could do that, then your stories are going to click more and more and more. And I think it's, you know, this is this is what they need to do. It's a solid, solid shows in the build-up to All In and then whatever the matches are. And don't be afraid to book fucking big matches, Tone. Simple as that. Yeah. We've finished. Well, they've got to have these big stars back, you know, Kenny back, Punk back, Brian's already back, you know. Adam Cole's coming back on uh, on Dynamite this week as uh, this week coming up as well. Yeah, you know they got them wrestling each but, other. Yeah, these tippy top guys against each other. Let's uh, let's hope that's the uh, the direction we're going in. But I mean, to that point, yeah, you know that that is uh, you know this week's uh, show coming up. We got a, a dumpster match with uh, the Acclaim versus uh, Gun Club. I don't know if uh, 
sort of separating those lads has uh, has actually turned mm. out for the best. I don't think uh, the acclaimed rapid, the award, the uh, the weird segments on Rampage last week was actually their best stuff. I think I preferred them as a, a lovable um, foursome, but you know maybe that'll yeah. deliver. That's a that's a different you know type of match that we haven't seen on on TV in a while. It's a way of not doing yet another no DQ match in a, in AEW. But yeah, elsewhere in the show we got a we got a what have we got? Orange Cassidy versus Jay Lethal. Uh, like I said, there undisputed elite uh, returning as a stable, so yeah, that involves Kyle O'Reilly and uh, and Bobby Fish as well. I wonder whether that might be uh, the tipping point for uh, for Kenny to come back. Be interested mm-hmm. to to see what uh, what happens there. Thunderstorm, uh, I hate that name still against uh, Britt Baker and uh, Jamie Hater. Hobbs going to be on the show. Main event is uh, is Jericho Wheeler Utah, and also there is a uh, Mahardy versus Christian Cage in a. You know, if this week's uh, show is the future, that show that match is very much the past. That's we've that. had that in the past. I'm sure we've had that match bump. like that's two a, months yeah. ago. Because because I was so into like you know this this last week, you know the the Jungle Boy segment, and you know I'm still a little bit scratching my head on what's really happened with Luchasaurus. You know, we were musing: is it is it possible that maybe Christian's got some other big man they want to put him with? Maybe. You know, maybe Brian Cage becomes his long lost brother or something. You know, the Cage brothers Hobbs. come back together, or Hobbs maybe. Yeah, it could be a, a role for Hobbs. Um, yeah, that feels like one big positive. Jungle Boy steps out of the uh, steps out of the shadows and delivers a, a bit of a money promo into you know a SmackDown 2001 rematch here in there. Matt Hardy and Christian. That sticks out like a bit of a sore thumb. That's a that's a, a short segment on the show and a match that kind of exists today because of a ladder match. 25 years ago like mm. we, which we need to move beyond that type mm. of stuff and I think when you do that like Christian in his role as he is and like why is Matt Hardy, just keep Matt Hardy away you don't need him on here you mm. don't need him on here at all there's, there's no like you're not going to gain anything in the ratings you're not going to gain anything kind of tangibly Christian in this role where he's chicken shit heel and he's going to be chased down by an angry jungle boy in Luchasaurus and then finds his own muscle to be able to take them on at some point as well. And I think Hobbs does that, particularly if it's Christian as kind of manager rather than Christian as wrestler wrestling alongside Hobbs, because then Hobbs, then all you're doing is you're substituting where he is with Ricky Starks, basically replacing him with Christian. Whereas Christian is his kind of mouthpiece and manager about actually, I'm going to turn him into a kind of an absolute like, unit who just destroys people again and restores that focus there and sets mm. him up on jungle boy like I, there's i think that's interesting storyline development you could do there what do you think the uh, adam cole stuff's lead towards you think it's kenny coming back maybe it's something to do with the the six-man titles you know they they were didn't mention that they were unveiled that night because you know but aw needed was another tournament and more belts uh, needed that about as much as I needed two hours of Jim Russell and commentary. He's I that was a hard on for those fucking um, trios titles. I was just like, <laughs> this company has started. Hmm. Honestly, he's been absolutely yeah, fucking stonking <laughs> tents going on in his trousers. If the matches aren't best trousers. friends versus Lethal Sanjay Dutt and uh, the Never Happen and Saturn and Sing that we got on Rampage, if it's not that, if it's, you know, the Elite mixed it up, if it's Kenny in the books, you know, there's money in those matches. <laughs> there is... Personally, I've no interest in this undisputed elite versus real elite with bullet club kind of overtones to it. I I want to see them interacting with other people rather than basically with themselves, if you see what I mean. I think that's probably where I stand on it. 
I think it is building towards the trios titles. And don't get me wrong, they'll get big reactions. I understand that. It's it's that's a personal taste that I'm not into that stuff. But within the crowds and the arenas, they do like this stuff. They do like Adam Cole. They'll pop massive for Kenny. I just kind of want to see Kenny come back thinking about a world title scene mm. and getting his world championship back and having that mm. kind of focus. That's what you'd like to see. If he comes back with the Bucks and they're doing this, it feels like it'll be another performative six-man tag. And Kenny Omega come back for a trios title. You know, if Okada came back from injury, do you go, right, I'm after those never open weight six-man belts? No, you'd be like, fuck off, mate. Get some priorities. That world title you're after. Don't be dicking around. So, like, that's why I don't want to see that. That'd involve Kenny Omega taking literally anything seriously as an uh, on-scene character. So, you know, let's see. Um, <laughs> I won't go back yeah. down that well. Um, but, yeah, big main event, yeah, Jericho and, uh, and Wheeler Utah. Do you think Jericho does the, the favour like Brian did for uh, Garcia? I think that's very unlikely. <laughs> I think, uh, I don't think so, it's a difficult one. Jericho's taking on Moxley, isn't he, in next week? Yeah, this is the winner gets that interim shot. Uh, so Jericho's put it on the line. So, yeah, I suppose the pure type champion can take uh, Garcia will do it, and then they'll set up another rematch between them. I'll take that. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised. That, that would be the way I would expect it to be. Mm, and the Blackpool well, Combat Club can't counter outside interference stuff. Like, that's mm. the thing. There's the flaw in their game plan, maybe. That plus road bricks. Um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's dynamite this week. And like I said, Dan, you know, let's just hope that, uh, that Jim Ross isn't on commentary for two weeks, for two hours again. Um, felt like three weeks. <laughs> let's just hope we get back to normal. And I'll I'll take the shitty uh, big Jim Ross uh, entrance at the end of uh, of our one if it means I don't have to suffer through him uh, in moaning for two hours. And adding Jericho to the mix on dynamite last week was... Uh, yeah, it was was one too many for me to handle. Let's uh, let's go back to that experiment. Or oh, let's just have Jim Ross on no hours of the show. I'll take that. Have him backstage as the car, like as the hand to the king, throwing mm. the oft-used Game of Thrones reference for it, or House of the Dragon, which I think is on next this month as well. But I don't know what's going to be like. I'm not going to talk Game of Thrones at this time of the day. But it is it is a thing where um, you you kind of think to yourself that um you know that's the better use for him for me i've banged on about it for the last few weeks when he comes out in commentary there's it's almost like there's less and less interest mm-hmm. like in the actual product itself shivani is shivani has always maintained the interest but he also does uh, he does the in-ring interviews and so he basically plays gene oakland Mm. these days which is absolutely fine great I mean, no that issue role, with that. he's great you switch him from one to the other but I also think as well, you need to be developing new commentators mm. at this point because Excalibur and Taz is your main team because the chemistry is there. It works. And Taz is a great colour commentator. When he gets into a groove with like a play-by-play man, he's absolutely phenomenal mm. on there. Um, I've seen Simon's written in the chat, less JP, please. I'm afraid you've subscribed to the wrong place, mate. <laughs> all me, all he has corrected time. himself. He met less he has, <laughs> I was really um, the bad <laughs> I thought it might have been me, though. <laughs> I would never say that. Wouldn't blame you. Me. Freudian <laughs> slip. Um, in there. But I, I, I think that's what, what they need to do with him is it's just like bring him backstage, have him be that voice of like kind of, you know, talking about it or even helping, you know, God, mm. God, dare I say it, produce some of the announcers, stuff like that. I think that's, that's where his, his, his role is. It's just that when he comes out, it's like lazy, cheap pops, mm. Oklahoma marching band theme. 
it just also like you're having the cameras off I don't understand it like, doing his <laughs> shit in the early 2000s with Jim Ross I'm f- oh, like he's even in the chat apparently yeah he wants to hit his 50 year anniversary in the business Andy says which unfortunately is in 2024 so we might have two more years of him Carl suggests making him the lead announcer for the AW Women show but I'm not that's about as serious as uh, Carl's oh, bit to be in the uh, in the grapple fantasy uh, Premier League draft league so you know I'll, uh, I'll take that with the uh, with the credibility it deserves cruel <laughs> <laughs> Which on that note, uh, if we are uh, getting into plugs, unless there is, uh, is there anything else uh, you wanted to mention that you uh, you watched this week, JP? No, no, there isn't anything. The stuff I've got to do catch up wise, mm-hmm. and I know I've got to do that, but I'm hoping that the uh, effectively packing, cleaning new products, taking trips to B and M and home bargains that I went into a lot of detail <laughs> in the pre-show that might be over. Or I'll just be able to sit down and watch these things and just sort of yeah. be able to relax and actually sort of pay attention to them. But I think like when it comes to tournament stuff in Japan, you have to pick and choose the way the crowds are at the moment. I think that's going to be it. So mm. like that's, that's what I'll be For doing. For your own sanity, mate, pick and choose. Yes. Like honestly, yeah, exactly. you're, you're probably better off watching New Japan strong at this point. Like I, that, that, that US pay-per-view is a much higher priority for me this week than the, uh, the G1. Hopefully it swings, but I guess. Triple A show this but, weekend as well. Oh, it's not Triple Mania again, is it? No, it's not Triple Mania again. Although, let me have a look, actually. I need to make absolute... You sure it wasn't last weekend? Because I got, I, got, I got a notification. The Cub fan was live. I still get that on Twitch. Um, oh, so. It's Verano de Escalando. There you go. That's your homework, I don't quite know what that means. Let me have a check because I'm pretty... I should know. We'll be previewing it on the weekend show uh, either way. Um, Summer of yeah. Scandal. Oh. Not on. If they're talking about like if they're talking about wrestling on a meta scale, by the way, at the Flair match they had Cabrera and Savinovic. Oh yeah, uh, I did know commentary. that. What a great, what a great combo to have on the uh, WF Spanish announced team of. Uh, of I think the, Hugo uh, was on his best behaviour because they were ringside, not up in a fucking bit on the stadium up on the side. And you were well. the best. They were the best Spanish announced team I saw this week. They were the see the SATs were on. Uh, I think it was Raw last week. Like they showed them in uh, in archives. So they were backstage celebrating with Rey Mysterio last week, and they had the uh, the highlights on SummerSlam, a show which also featured a Spanish fly from Bianca Belair on it. So there you go. Yeah, the SATs live the real Spanish announced team in uh, in my heart, mate. <laughs> God <laughs> love them. I'm too. I'm looking to see when it is. When um, I'm just having a look to see when uh, Triple Mania is coming up. It's the fifteenth of Oct- uh, no fifteenth of October. And if that's not good enough, there's one on the fifteenth of November, fifteenth of December, and fifteenth of January as well. So you know, probably I assume. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, loads. Of- this is the last big show. I didn't expect us to go into a triple A preview. I won't, but I'll save that. For I didn't know that. <laughs> where you can subscribe to it at patreon.com forward slash grapple. And you can also listen to our Street Fighter review. We've gone seamlessly into plugs there. Go uh, play professional, professional podcaster. Oh, yeah. professional podcast. No, that's uh, that's over there. Obviously, uh, as, as you mentioned there, we had the uh, the pre-show here. If you want to hear us, mm-hmm. uh, the old men and talk about B&M and, uh, and Wilco's and all our, our favourite shops. The uh, extended longer, if you want longer, edition of uh, Grapple Spotlight is uh, is available over there. But yeah, we did, uh, obviously we did Film Club that we uh, we talked a bit about uh, last week where with, uh, with Street Fighter, the blast of a time with, uh, with Matty recording that. We even put our... Uh, did our own casting job on it uh, on Street Fighter. Oh, yeah. Up, uh, who, which wrestlers we cast in there uh, in certain roles. I think we uh, we came up with uh, with some bangers. So, yeah, listen to that if you want. Still, still yeah. maybe struggling a little bit for Ken and Ryu, but I think the rest of them, 
I think we got, you know, uh, so you can uh, you can hear that as well as uh, talk of our Street Fighter fandom. Ricky Steamboat is right. I'm not going to re- ruin it and go into all of it. You, you can listen to it on the show itself. But Ricky Steam, when Matty said Ricky Steamboat as Ryu, I was like, oh, yeah, I can go go along with that. <laughs> can it become, as long as it isn't the Ken who was in Street Fighter itself, because he was a terrible actor. Mm. Terrible. And Horrendous. Looked, uh, big every, Chad McQueen every, energy. Big for every Chad. bit as good Raul Julia was. He was that much, much worse. Um, yeah, it was. A, it was the bits of it were a struggle, but all in all, it was a great, uh, great nostalgia chip and a great. Yes. Uh, and I don't think we the last edition of a uh, John Claude Van Damme film club. So yeah, you can get that over on the uh, the Patreon. But yeah, as you said, daily updates, uh, weekend preview uh, coming uh, mm-hmm. on Friday. We'll give uh, that Triple A show uh, a bit of detail. I'm, I'm sure. And yeah, spotlight uh, Thursday, weekend. mate. Live What's going on week? on Thursday? Oh, the big one. I, I apologize. I, I threw it in there, didn't I? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, Thursday. But that's not Patreon, though. So this is separate, but free for all on the, on the Grapple YouTube on Thursday for those who, uh, who either it's good news for everyone because if you're sick of hearing us talk about FPL on on Spotlight, which we have been limiting the uh, the last while or so, um, mainly because the season's not been on, but even even outside of that, we have been uh, trying to keep to the uh, the Patreon pre shows. Uh, we are doing a, an FPL draft on Thursday on the YouTube as a as a standalone thing. Everyone is invited except for Carl. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is uh, free for uh, free for all on the uh, on the Grapple YouTube. Carl got relegated from the draft league uh, last year, and we stick to our oh, rules. Just... He's been relegated. He's not allowed back in. Um, for this year, um, unless he finds a back door way in. We'll see. Um, I've, I've seen that Eddie Sideburns uh, trying to uh, plot on it and get called back in. It will not happen under my watch, but the rest of us will be live on the Grapple YouTube uh, drafting uh, our teams for the uh, for the draft league for the coming season. And I uh, expect going forward, I'm not promising anything black and white, but we'll be doing more uh, FBL content of that type. Um, separate from uh, from Grapple Spotlight uh, over on uh, over on YouTube as well, so you've uh, you've all got that to uh, to look forward to. But yeah, uh, as with that said, as Simon said, you know, reasonable hour. We started a little bit early with Spotlight tonight. We got a uh, got Alan on, who was uh, a great guest, great to chat to him about uh, SummerSlam and, uh, and Rick Flair. If you don't follow him on Twitter already, you should. But yeah, thanks to uh, to Alan for joining us, and yeah, I think that's about it for the show, is it not, JB? That is. I've got nothing else to add for this week. A little bit of catch up on there. So all I'll say is bye. Cheers for tuning in all. We'll catch you again next week. Yeah, strictly for my homies not down with the front game straight to the floor. We pumping it up.